Mic check, mic check. All right, there we go. Mic check, mic check. Morning Masters podcast. Y'all's main of course. Across me, I got a special guest. I got Mr. Ben Hassan, former commissioner. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic, sir. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you. The pleasure is all mine, man. Uh, first and foremost, man, uh, I want to just ask, uh, so you're originally from Augusta all your life? Been here all my life. Uh, born and raised, uh, 1012 9th Street, which is now James Brown Boulevard. I was born one block out of what everybody knows as the golden block, one block away from there. But went through there every day from to go to my grandma school, which was Silas X Floyd, A.R. Johnson, from there to A.R. Johnson down to Lucy Craft Laney. So I had to go through that pretty much every day. And I'm just a product of that environment. That's where I got my stability from. And I thank God for it. That's what's up, man. Um, so I want to, I mean, first of all, I'm glad to talk to you. And I know we talked um, off air, but I'm glad to talk to uh, a former commissioner. Reason, my reason being, of course, is that uh, I just found that sometimes when uh, you're in position, some people are reluctant to talk about everything or whatever they want to talk about, you know, versus uh, being in that, in, actually in that role, you know. Mm-hmm. So I want to start there. First, um, talk about just being from Augusta, born and raised. I know you're from here. Uh, what was your childhood like? Uh, grew up with both parents, one parent. Well, well actually, uh, if, I don't know if you know it now, but A.K. Hassan, I'm not with, with you for me with him or not, but he's my, my brother. Um, and uh, we was actually raised by a babysitter. My mother was working, as we mm. understood it, it was told to us that, we, um, she was working at the university hospital, like a lot of blacks at that particular time. She didn't have any high school diploma, anything of that nature, so she wanted to migrate and go up north. And so in doing that, the, the same house that I'm saying that I was raised in 1012 9th Street was where I was being babysitted at, myself, around two years old, a.k.a. a little less than that. Was raised in the Wiggins household. They had five kids that was older than us. I'm six, I'm in, in the seven in terms of age in the household. And so my mother struck a deal with them to say, hey, I'm going to want to go up north. I don't want to do this anymore, but I will make arrangement to send Ben and Kenny. That was, mm. you know, Ben and Kenny, send you uh, money for them, for their, for their school clothes, for their whatever, their, their, their lifestyle, whatever that looks like. And they, they struck that deal. And so my mother came home twice a year. I always knew who my mother was. Uh, she would come home Christmas, and she would come home um, during the summer, summer vacation. She lived up to her word, and we never had a problem. Uh, the household that we was in in terms of education was a literate household, mm-hmm. you know. But we had love and was treated just like any other, other their five kids. Never saw any differential in terms of how we were treated. Wow. Um, that's interesting because, you know, my grandmother's from Augusta, and I, I know that must have been a common thing to just go up north to work. Right. Because I think she may have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know, you know verbatim, but if I'm not mistaken, uh, she moved up to New York, but she had two kids that she kept here as mm-hmm. well. So was that like a common thing back in, the, back in that time? I, I really couldn't say because my mother was not from Augusta. My mother was like from, as I understand, from McCormick, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. So she had just very little relatives here. And so this was somebody who, who she trusted, had already had bonded with, and they trusted each other. And I can tell you, uh, my, one, my mother was a woman of her word in regards to that, and they treated us, like I said, they always worried about us because they knew that saying that Cora could kill me, you know, what's, what's my mother's name, if something happened to you, Benjamin, you need to bring your butt home from school because I would, you know, I would just, you know, 
just was wild. <laughs> <laughs> and so it, it just kept me in the fray. But I honestly, I think it possibly was because those opportunities, whether it was out in Detroit or whether up in New York and mm-hmm. stuff, and our people just wanted a better quality of life. And so our people was migrating as best they could. And so from that, once my mother left here, and this is, I think, is the important part, my mother did go and get her a GED, and she became a computer programmer oh, after wow. leaving Augusta, you know. And she'd done that for almost 35 years or so until we lost her in two, six, 2016. She finally came back home, and um, but my mother passed in 2016. Well, I, I want to stay on that for a minute. What was the, the dynamic between you two? Like, what was your um, relationship like being that? For a while, you only saw it, but twice a year. Um, it was a great relationship because you got to realize we was we was we was writing letters to her, uh, and then we got old enough, you know, we was calling her and stuff. And so there was a constant contact. She gotcha. was sending money, even like I say, if she would come home Christmas in the summertime, when it was school starts, she sent money for us to get our school clothes and stuff. So she was always in our life. She was always just a phone call away or just a letter uh, writing away, always there. Okay, well, I want to give a round of applause to your mom. So shout out to her because. Uh, I definitely think that those are hard decisions to make, you know, um, especially to be away from your kids. Right. You even see it in today's society. People right. can't work because they feel like, I don't want to leave my kid. But then sometimes you have to make decisions to make a better way in life for right. the kids. So I definitely uh, commend because I know those decisions aren't always easy. Right. And also, excuse me, to, 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 to another point, we were dealing with a different era and a different mindset among our people as definitely. a whole. Definitely. Because I can remember also the very household that I'm in because they babysitted kids, you know? And uh, I can remember other young, young teenage young mothers would walk past there with the baby on their hip, you know, like they just almost didn't want to be bothered or something. <laughs> or something. And they would say, girl, give me that baby. Let me take care of that baby. I'll take care of that baby for if you want to. And, and they wouldn't give the baby, but they would let the baby stay a couple of days just to unwind. Right. So it was very common among our community at large to try to, Gear relief and try to step in and step in the gap where it was need to be. So we had good, a good value system. It was kind of like you say when you go up north, they said they give you plenty to drink, and you come down south, you get plenty to eat, but you get that southern hospitality, mm. and it was very real in that day and time, very real. Well, describe Augusta to me during that time, if you don't mind. Like, what? For, well, for me at that time, you know, it was right come up right prior to, to integration. So everything was a hub and in the black community, everything you need. Sometimes I don't mean that you own everything, because I can remember uh, working at what they call Red and White, then became Gurley, which was a grocery store. That's, on, that's around the corner, about on the, lane, on the Gwinnett Street side, Elena Walker Boulevard side. If I went in the opposite direction, like I was going toward Broad Street, there was a, on by Dyes Park there, there was a Hills food store that mm-hmm. was there. Across from that, you had a black-owned a convenience store called Jones Variety Store. In other places in between, you had Oriental had stores in between. But it was a thriving, hustling, and bustling community. You know, you had your little liquor houses and those kinds of things. Yeah. You had your guys on the block on the next, you know, you know, living off the land, per se. Um, and so, but, it was, but you felt well, you know, uh, about what was going on in your life. And then when you come, when the integration really set in, because you got to talk about when 1954, when it's the integration passed and stuff like that. Well, in the Richmond County school system, it didn't want to implement it to about 69 or 70. Mm. You're talking about almost 16, 17 years later. But also that was for blacks that could take and, and move around then and move in other neighborhoods and start doing those kinds of things. And nothing was wrong with that. And so many people, you know, they look and say, well, you know, man, integration 
was not a good thing for us. I don't necessarily subscribe, subscribe to that, but I understand that because I see what we lost. But what it really says to us at the end of the day, even though we were doing a lot of business with self, we were doing business with self because we, we was forced to. Right, right. We hadn't right, understood right. the value in it because the minute that we can go three blocks over, that's what we did. Well, the average people have an intrinsic value system that they ain't going to do that. And so that part of it that we missed. And so no sooner than the, get, the gate was open to the fence, we went on out of the gate and we started doing business in up with everybody else other than self. Right. And so as a result of that, we find ourselves still struggling in many ways today that we're still behind because we don't understand the value system about that. And we don't give each other the opportunity that we give other people who when they mistreat us in a transaction, we'll talk junk, but we'll show up tomorrow. Oh, yeah. But if I mistreat them, not only are they not coming back, but they're going to tell everybody else don't come back. Hmm. Sometimes we stack the the odds against ourselves. Oh, absolutely. But we've been, see, Dr. Carter G. Wilson, one of the statements he said, you know, he was the founding father of Negro History Week. It started as a week, you know, back in my day. You said Negro History Week. Negro History Week. Negro History Week. Mm. You call it Negro History Month now, but it was a week back then. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yes. And his his position was we have not been educated. We've been trained, and we've been trained to fail. Mm. That Mm. was part of his philosophy in trying to, you know, educate us about our state of affairs. We have not been educated. We've been trained. We've been trained to fail. Was if you I don't know if you know, but it was Negro History Week. Was that in February as well? Yes, it was. Okay, it, it I know. Was. You know, it's always a joke of saying like we get the shortest month, but that week was just happened to be in February, so it just kind of gave us a month. Well, probably, you know, that's probably that's it. But that's <laughs> but that's what it's like that. And it was a week in the end of it. It's a month now, but it, you know, but for the rest of the time, what are we consciousness? Of? What are we conscious about? And so we have to do some soul searching our own self to try to see exactly what we want to accomplish as a people especially in the time that we're living in, in this day and time. Um, if you can, like, tell me, how, how did y'all celebrate that back then? Like, did you celebrate it? Was it the same now? Or? Well, no, it was not a really a celebration. It was more of a just studying more in school. Mm-hmm. There was nothing necessarily outside that where you go to an affair that you, and you would celebrate that, that I can remember. Gotcha. It would be most of just that you would talk more about it in the school. You would highlight it more. Now, most of the things we were taught a lot of things about, you know, blacks, but for the most part, that is a heightened awareness of that week. That's all. Okay. When that came gotcha. along. Okay. Um, so talk, I want to talk about like, what's some of the schools you went to like uh, as, as a youngster? Like, what was your, well, what's your school history? Elementary like, school. Yeah. I went to Silas X. Floyd, which is the same school that James Brown attended. Oh, that's why uh, that I had worked there. Okay. Uh, yeah, Silas X. Floyd, which was um, two blocks from my house. Right by, you know, by May's funeral home, right, right across the street from there. That's that what was, I like, the, the turning school. thing is that. A little uh, circle, circle of stop sign. I, no, I, that's too far up. That's okay. too far. Up. That's a, that's the Riceboro Road and Twig. But right where, if you know where May's funeral home is, right across the gotcha. street from it is is the school, gotcha. the school playground. So we went there, Miller um, went there as um, uh, elementary school, junior high school, went to A.R. Johnson High School, Lucicraft Laney. What made you go to Laney? A neighborhood. That's all I wanted to go to Laney. You know, that's just it was a natural. You know, Laney was one of the first. High schools here in Augusta, Richmond County. When I say the first, because it was not the first, you had a high school here. If you go down on on a, on a run street called Ware High School, might have been open all about three years from probably about 1895, 1897, somewhere longer there. And then the school, Richmond County school system shut it down, mm. saying they didn't have money. And then later on, you came back with the um, 
Pain Institute that Miss Lena established, and then around 1950, Lucifercraft Lena was established. Okay. So there's a lot of history around that. You know, Morris Brown, Morehouse, and all that was right there on Reynolds Street as well, where 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 school was as well, where high school was as well as well. Um, far as the uh as the schools go, uh, why why not Josie? I'm just curious. What well, Laney was right there. Uh, you're very familiar with it. People you don't you don't make because once you got to when you came out of where I came from, Florida, and if you went to eighth grade, at that point you got young persons coming from everywhere. You're mm-hmm. coming from elementary school down at Hansbury, Craig, mm-hmm. uh, whether it was Collins or whatever, who, who based on where they live, because most a lot of Collins right there, three or four blocks from Joseph, they would go to Joseph. So at that point, once you came to high school, or junior high, that eighth grade class would go to eighth grade and ninth grade. <laughs> got you. And then when you got to Laney, 10th grade, 11th, so you, you're, you're, your students are tracking. So you're building long-term relationships through your junior mm-hmm. high, through your high, through high school, uh, junior high school as well. High school gotcha. as well. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so talk about your, what middle school you say you went to? So what now? So you say you went to Silas and Floyd. And then, then A.R. Johnson Junior High. Oh, was it was A.I. Johnson still uh, like a magnet school? Court no, it was not. Then? No, it was not. It was not a magnet school. Then it was just a junior high school. Oh, wow. Just was a junior high school at that particular time. I think Johnson become a magnet school of probably a lot of part of the 90s or something. I'm not sure. 90s or uh, 2000, somewhere along, somewhere along okay. the time. Because there wasn't a magnet school we, we attended. Did they have sports back in the day, you know? Yes, they had sports. Oh, wow. I mean, yes. I had two friends who, paid on, who played with, uh, both of them was a grade behind me, and they had back-to-back championships, junior high championships, the eighth grade and the ninth grade. Then oh. they came to Lane and. And Coach Dupree wouldn't even let them play for him. He said they was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you play sports? No, I, I played intramural sports. Remember that I, was, I didn't have the discipline to go out to school and be coach in high school, like <laughs> a junior high, high school. Like, I just wasn't disciplined in that regard. No, I, was I, not, I was not, I, I didn't conform easy. I, I, I agree. So I'm not from Augusta, right? Mm-hmm. And when I moved down here, they asked me to play. I played in PE mm-hmm. with some kids, you know, of course, yeah. and, and they asked me to play. I said, all right, cool. And I quickly found out why I wasn't playing my whole life. And I right. said, oh, I'm not doing this. Yeah. The girl's watching. You're screaming at me. Yeah. I don't want to do it. Yeah. Practice every day. I'm tired today. Yeah. I want to go home. Yeah. I, I'm saying, like, I couldn't do it. I, I, mm-hmm. My first and last year playing, I said, I'm good. I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. Um, what was Laney like back then? Laney now was like, you know, it's, it's prestigious. I love Laney. I love the history. Right. Right. I joke about it a lot. But the history of Laney, you can't. It's undeniable. Great alumni. Um, what was Lane like back then? Though? I mean, the same thing. I mean, it was, I mean, when you, when you went to, to the school, it was a lot of um, appreciation for the school, a lot of appreciation for the sports, one of the top names in the state of Georgia, as well as South Carolina at that time. Right before me, we get in there, they used to play schools like Jefferson Howell in South Carolina and Strong Thurman over in mm-hmm. South Carolina, but also go across different places of the state. So they had a household name. I mean, Norm Nixon Played right there in Laney Gym, mm. you know, uh, and stuff like that. For you know, for he became a big household name in the on the professional level. So all of those that's a little bit for my time, but I can remember all those things uh, happening. The biggest challenge we have now as Laney alum is that we must we must come back to realize that Lucifercraft Laney is an educational institution and not a sports institution. And so that's the thing that we have to remind ourselves of because we seem to really invest in it and not thinking about the educational component as much as we should. If you had to, if you had to give me a roundabout, at what point would you say that 
Laney made that transition into being of more of an educational versus sports? It's really hard to say because things happen in increments. You gotcha. know? You're right. You don't, You're right. You, don't, you don't see it all at one time. All you just realize, it's almost like, Going to sleep and say you got a good night's sleep. You don't know how long you've been sleeping until you get up and look at the clock. <laughs> yeah. The first thing you know when you fell asleep. <laughs> you know when you out of got in the bed. <laughs> you know, so you really don't know. But all you know, you end up seeing. And you kind of when I started really noticing it, that means that when it became public conversations and when there were complaints and things of that nature. Because many times when I was gone, I was just gone from the school. But as you can see, there was some discrepancies in many ways. Then you begin to notice. Uh, that there's some challenges where you inquire, that's when you begin to realize. And so you realize that some, some adjustments needs to be made. Um, and so you, you didn't play sports in high school, but what, what, what were, how, were, how were you in high school? Like, I want to know how was, how, were, how was Ben Hassan 16, 17 years old? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, and I asked this question for a reason. Let me tell you why. Right. I, I asked this question because I was the you now isn't you yesterday, right? But... At the same time, you came to be a very successful individual in, in your own way and doing things you want to do. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure there's somebody right now that may be just like how you were at that age, but people telling that person, hey, you ain't going to do right. Yeah. You, you know, yeah. And they might feel that way. Right. But then when you, when you finally hear somebody's story and you see, like, oh, that person just like me, I can do it. I can turn around. It's a point in life where I'm going to be like, you know what? I'm tired of playing. I don't want to joke around. I want to be serious about something. Well, let me let me segue into it this way. I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you figure it to kind of get a phrase, but I'm gonna I'm gonna answer your question. Remember, I told you about my mother and her contributions and right. her sticking to her word and our who I because we never called my mother, mama, mother, anything. Like no, we call it by her name, mm. you know. And I call who the household we raised. We call them mama and daddy, even though we all knew the difference. You know what I'm saying? They never tried to take us from it. There was never discrepancy about those things. But when I was in the seventh grade, my mother. When she came home one year, she said to me, Benjamin, because she didn't want to call me Benjamin, something's wrong with you, boy. I need to take you to a psychiatrist. <laughs> 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 and that's because of my, my, all my independent thoughts and things of that nature and my defiance in many ways. So those kind of things kind of happened in eighth grade, ninth grade. A little bit, we really started showing itself ninth grade. And then when I got to high school, um, they showed a little bit more of themselves. But I'm the kind of person I've had um, had a couple of friends. Um, I mean, you talk about people running every day. They lost their life. 17 and 18 was killed. Uh, I was shot in the back at 18 years old. I was attending Laney as well. So you? Um, yes. Um, oh, wow. So so we've we've had some challenges in life, and we thank God every day for life. You know, and um, so we don't take anything for granted. Uh, we accept the fact that we're here for a reason. We accept the fact that those are just and believe it or not, those are just some of the incidents to as to where we are today. But we thank God for it. And I do believe that some of the things that have been on my mind ever since I was young, many of those things has not changed in the terms of the way of us. Now, what am I saying in particular? And I don't want to get too far, but I want to at least want to make a point while I'm there. I've always believed in us. I've always believed that we can contribute. I've always believed that the best of us is yet to come. I don't think that we haven't had in the modern era after civil rights marches and things of that nature, we haven't taken time enough to invest in ourselves the way it was prior to that. Mm. We've taken and done a great job with the Dr. Kings and the Malcolms and the, uh, and the other persons who made those sacrifices and, and fought this country about legislation that potentially impact our community. 
But now we're at a place in time that we have to begin to challenge ourselves and fight against ourselves. And, you know, with, with, with a dialogue, I don't mean, yeah, you know, physical yeah. confrontations, uh, and push ourselves to the next level because I think we have something to offer this country. I think the country's in a place now more than ever before, and it needs us, and we need it. And so um, that's what I think. But I've, I've seen that my whole life. Just all the time, you don't know, you don't necessarily always walk in your calling. Right, right, right. But but it's but that's not new to me. I've always felt this way. Um, I don't want to get too too deep on, into it though. But uh, I know you mentioned a situation. Um, did that change you at all? Like your your mindset when 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 you were eighteen and got shot? Did that change you at all? Like, was it, was it a scary no, thing really. for you? Were you no, life threatening? No, no, not really. Because like, cause just to show you how I never was was too far because in getting shot at eighteen. At that particular time, I can remember having, after a few days in the hospital for a couple of days and stuff, because it was so close to my spine that they decided to go in the front to try mm. to get the bullet out the back. But once they opened my mouth here, they realized the bullet was lodged so far in the back that they needed to zip me back up and I would pass it, you know. So just remember this now. About three years ago, my wife took ill. My wife took ill, took her to the hospital. While we were there and she's in her room, in the emergency room, I began to get lightheaded and everything. So at this point, they had to admit me. And admitting me, for whatever reason, the young, they decided to do an x-ray on me. And doing an x-ray, he was a young guy doing an x-ray. He said, hey, he said, you been shot before? I said, yes, how you know? He said, I see the bullet still in you. Mm, 50 man. years later. 50 years later. That bullet older than me. <laughs> 50 years <laughs> later. And so, um, so my, you know, so, you know, you just, you just thank God for life. You just thank God for so many things that, that has happened. You thank God that you're here, and you thank God here to lend your voice or lend your support to wherever the community decides to go. That's going to add value to the community. Right, right. I think we got enough good people here that we have the conversation. Because we got a lot, believe it or not, and you probably know it because I saw some of your interviews, and I, and I, and I, and I, and I, I enjoy watching them. You know, I, I didn't watch that. them all, but I watched about a handful of them, and I, and I like your, the person, person that you was interviewing. I didn't go back years. They were just recent interview, but they were very good. Thank you. But we have so many people that's probably in the shadows who are probably moderates or conservatives in our community who don't want to come out. We got to invite everybody to the table. Just because I be, maybe be the host or maybe the, the author of a paper or the publisher of a paper doesn't mean I have all the answers. I'm not professing that. I think it's important that we have the dialogue and mm -hmm. we begin to look at what is best overall for the community. And I'm thinking that's what we're trying to create a space for that to happen. And I'm assuming that's what you're doing as well. Yeah, definitely. I'm trying to, um, you're talking about, you know, being pillars in the community and things of that nature. Just uh, even something like this, what I'm doing, I know I got a voice. I know I can uh, just impact certain people and certain things. So I try to do that with my, with my, with my platform, you know. Um, but to you, um, we, we spoke on off air a little bit. And so after, after school, what did you do like after you finished Laney? Like, what, what was life like for you after that? Well, well as I finished Laney, I had a few jobs here in between. I think I worked at what used to be um, Thermoceramics. I can't think of the old name. It used to be what they ended up being Thermoceramics. I worked there for a short period of time. I think they, I was doing what they were making something they call small corning tops. Those are the little wiring that goes on your stove, your electrical stove. Yeah, you turn yeah, it on. Yeah. It was taking them out of the, out of the, out of the um, you know, bringing them up out of the, the mix putting them in the, um, in the dryers and everything. 
I enjoyed doing it. And then one day they was they was laying off after about three or four. Back then it used to be if you're three months, you don't you you know you in. Yeah. And so they didn't lay us lay me off. They put me in another department where they had bricks coming out. I had never even seen a brick. <laughs> and man, them bricks coming so long, man. I left. <laughs> coming so fast. And then I had other jobs in between, but I know, but I always knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. Because, you know, because sometimes I can get beside myself and I can start talking junk. And I'm and I have a philosophy. You may talk junk to me or you may disrespect me, but this ain't gonna pay you to do it. And so sometimes <laughs> me, I wanna wanna pay me. Yeah. And so you. I don't wanna force anybody else. So I began to, to do different things and change my life. I got introduced to to Islam by coming through the way of the nation of Islam initially and everything and become and then that entrepreneur spirit and more about self-awareness begin to just magnify. And as those things happen, then you begin to look at yourself and try to and you try to create a little lifestyle for yourself. Got married at 22 years at 20 uh, at 22. Uh, been married 47 years. Oh wow! Uh, four adult Clap kids. It up for that. You know, and so um, as a result of that, you know, those things begin to change. And I had a I had two stores on Laney Walker in the Penny Savings Bank building. I don't know where you're familiar with that is. Right on the corner of Laney Walker and uh, James Brown Boulevard. Used to be a church's chicken on the other side, but yeah. that, that Penny Savings Bank building, I had a, I had a called Dyer's Boutique. Dyer's was my youngest daughter. And then eventually my wife opened a, a in, the, in the Armstrong Galleria, she opened up an African attire store back there called Hadi's Boutique. So we had two stores down there for a short period of time, but my Dyer's Boutique was over 20 some odd years down there. Mm. Here's the interesting thing the, where my store was in that building is where I got shot in the back end. Wow. The owner of the building is the one that shot me in the back. Oh, my God. And as I was renting the place one day, because her husband had passed, and she said, and one day we was talking, we great relationship. And one day she said, her and her daughter had a dozen daughter and Miss Orly, beautiful spirit. Uh, she says, uh, Ben, didn't Frank, that was her husband, didn't Frank shoot your brother? I said, no, man, that was me. <laughs> she almost fell out of chair. She could not believe it. Because she's looking at a person that she enjoys doing business. She's looking at a person who she asked to, because she had, she had multiple properties yeah. who she wanted to. She asked me to go and collect her rent money for me. She would pay me. And I refused. I said, Ms. Early, I said, I don't want to do it. You have adult kids. And if I don't want them to think that I'm trying to take advantage of you. And so I, 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 I can't do it. And she said, well, okay, I appreciate that. And, but she did not realize that it was me that a husband shot. Oh, wow. But I had my eyes on the building that, uh, for the, excuse me, I always kept my eyes on that location. It never bothered me about that. Even when the part, and the part I was going to tell you, even when I got shot at 18, after three or four days, the district attorney's office came to me and asked me about pressing charge because I'm shot in the back. There's nothing I can do. I'm walking out of that business. Yeah. And I told him no. I told him I wanted to press charges on him. Hmm. And I said, because I wasn't doing anything that night, but previous behavior is that her husband had decided that if one of us, you know, get in there and get crazy in their little rest in their restaurant, that he was gonna he was gonna do what he felt to do to protect his family and stuff like that. And that particular night, I was not doing anything. He was there, the, the gentleman who shot me, two of his grandkids, and I'm sitting up in there just waiting because that's it's kind of like a little waiting station for some of yeah, us at the end of the day. And one was about to hurt themselves in their boot. And I said, Mr. Frank, I said, so-and-so. He said, get out of here. Get out of here. That's all I'm doing is shot there. He said, get out of here. Get out of here. And he, but he got a pistol in his hand. Oh, wow. And so as I walked out the door and walked across the threshold, 
He shot me in the back. Dang. But I had sense enough. So here's the part now. It goes back to I was that when they asked me, I was, I was, I had the wherewithal at 18 years old to know that he didn't shoot me for that night. He'd already made up his mind that if he felt that if he heard anything from us, that he was gonna do what he needed to do, what he felt to protect his family. Right. And I respected that. And so I wouldn't press charges. At 18, that's a that's a very mature decision yeah, to make. I wouldn't press so, charges. Um, wow, that's 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 a that's a that's a that's a that's a three sixty in there. Then to come back to get the building, all that stuff. So what, what I've always known that I've always known right from wrong. I mean, I've always done what's right, <laughs> but I always had the, the wherewithal to 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 make those kind of decisions. It's kind of like with my friends who I ran with every day. They always used to tell me because I was like a a, a string bean. <laughs> you tall so and so. You think you do it because I've always had an opinion. But we loved each other. We protected each other and stuff like that. But. I mean, that was just life for us, man. But we, and I just, just that, those kinds of relationships, they, they don't exist anymore. So I want to uh, talk, I'm sorry, yeah, talk briefly about, not briefly, but talk about, um, you said you were going to be an entrepreneur. So what, what, all, what, all, what, what all did you do, like, before you started getting in politics? Like, what all were you doing? Well, like I said, I had, I, I had like I said, Dyer's Boutique mm-hmm. for 20-some-odd years. I used to go door to door selling eight track tapes. So you know they're talking about back eight in the track day. tapes. Eight track tapes. What was your pitch? Like how would you like how would you try to sell it to somebody? Well, you know, you you knock on the door, say, hey, the tape man. I got and you would tell them what is the hottest tape it is, you would begin to spell it out. Tell wow. them who you got. And they said, You got so and so. So you would tell them sometimes you don't mention what they're looking for. You would say, Oh yeah, I got it. Oh, I can get that. So not only so eight track tapes, so pocketbooks, so incense, so oils. You know, I sold ladies' outfits. I sold men cap. You know, caps. When I finally got my building business out, they put all that in there. But but every project, you know, from Give Up Manor, Sunset, Allen Home, Delta Manor, Underwood, uh, you know, Southside Terrace, all those places I worked for years. So many of the the mothers and stuff uh, of many of these young men who's in the thirties and forties, they come from the inner city. I done business with their parents. Got you. Uh, so not only just in that, but also in my storefront as well. Also, uh, I went through beauty shops and barber shops with those wells as well. You know, all the black barber shops and beauty shops going through there. You know, and, and you know, introducing what I had here and stuff like that. So I've made a living that way pretty much all my life. You know, and where I'm from, at least in, in New York, like everything you said, you just sell. There's one person that sell each of that thing on the sidewalk, right? It's like a bunch of tables. So, like, you had pretty much, like, eight to nine businesses all in one just, just go around selling stuff every day. Well, I mean, I saw that in New York in my years ago because when I started, I was going to New York. Now, not for the eight-track tapes, but as I began to get a location, I'd go to New York and get my pocketbooks and things of that nature. Get it for cheaper. And, and, here, was the, and here was the dynamics of it. Just like you said, um, I considered moving to New York because I seen so many guys buy something around this corner and come around to the next corner and sell it. Don't let it start raining. Oh, man, they will get the uh, <laughs> umbrellas. And so you, you, know what I'm, you know exactly what I'm saying. But here was the interesting thing that I witnessed. It's not what nobody told me. When I could come there, just say, just say what's this money? This is, this is July. I could go to New York in July, and I could go to a store and buy whatever I'm buying, you know, from a wholesale, in the wholesale district there. I can come back six months, and the, the two or three persons who were Bagging my wares up, bagging it up, putting in the bag, saying, thank you, Mr. Ben. Thank you, Mr. Ben. Thank you, Ben. When I come back six months later, 
and I'm walking through the district again, and I turn and I walk backwards. That same guy who is a bag boy by all intents and purposes, now he had this own store and had his own crew. Yep. I witnessed it many days. So tell me how that worked. I seen it. I seen them do it. I seen people do it. Um, and they just and they and they keep moving and give their own crew. But now he's handling the money. Yep. He got his own crew. Work and if you go back up. six months later, the ones who begging, they're gonna have their own crew. Yeah, work their way up. Work their way up. Yeah. So, was a uh, entrepreneurship or, uh, I mean, I guess it's a difference between hustling and entrepreneurship. You had your own stores, you had multiple multiple streams and in- income. But uh, was that difficult back in the, in Augusta back in the days? In them days, like no, no, it was not because it, it was it was it was standard. Like I say, you know, you it's just about it was just about what is just what you do. You know, people, I mean, you go through beauty shops, barber shops, and many times, I mean, people love to see you coming because there was an, appreciate, there was an appreciation for what you were doing. And so it wasn't hard at all. It's just that you just had the personality to come in there and take charge when you come in there. Don't come in there when you're, like, you're intimidated. Yeah. You know, you know, you know have some, le- some, some level of aggressive, aggressiveness about you, about why you think they need this. I mean, and, I mean, we, you have more success with women wears than you did men wears. <laughs> yeah, especially in sales. You know, course. women women buy what they want, the men big what they want. <laughs> that's, <laughs> you know, that's that that should be our experience. See, that should be our experience. The most the most disapp- disappointing thing about it when I had my location was, say for instance, you were looking for a nice shirt that was out and popular. Everybody was looking for it or whatever, and you come and say, Ben, you got that Gucci shirt. You know they knock off Gucci. You know they. Yeah. Yeah, you got that Gucci shirt. I said, "What size you looking for?" He said, "I'm looking for an extra large." I said, "Yeah, I got man, I've been everywhere." Now remember now what he just said. He been everywhere looking. Mm-hmm. And guess the next part of gonna be, can I get a deal? He, yeah, he wouldn't got to do it nowhere else. <laughs> he couldn't couldn't find it nowhere else. I'm you the should, last resort, and now he want a discount. You should charge him more. <laughs> Technically speaking, but that's a part of that's a part of people understanding. My wife used to say, "People think you got money just because you got a cash register." Mm. You know, uh, she's a much better business person than I am because <laughs> she knew how to say no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, need, I need some bite for her because getting crazy out here. She knew how to say no. Um. So, uh, in 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 doing all of that, uh, as far as you know, uh, being out there with the community, selling stuff, uh, having your own business, um, having kids, I'm assuming, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, having a family. Uh, at what point did you just decide, like, you know, I'm, I'm a, I wanna, I don't know how how you got into the political field. Like, how'd you make well, that jump into that? Well, just remember, I, I mentioned much earlier that it's always been in my spirit about our community. And so in the 90s, so I watched it because my brother was in politics first. A.K. Hassan was in politics first. Your younger brother. Yeah, yeah. A.K. AK is younger than me. Okay. Uh, A.K., you know, been a city council person. Uh, he had been on the school board and everything like that. And, and in doing those things, matter of fact, he was a, the first black school board president. He was the youngest school board member ever. And there's one more thing there. And he was the first Muslim ever be on the board. Okay. Everybody on that school board was old enough to be his parents, to be his parents, because you had most of them were retired educators. Gotcha. He was about 26, 25, 26, 25, yeah, 20, when he got elected. But age 26, 27, he was the president of it. And you're talking about that particular time, you had a 16-member board, only four blacks. And he, was, and he became the president of the board. 
and they were in the red when he became a two years later, they were in the black. Oh, wow. You know? And so, um, the entrepreneurship and those kind of things have always kind of been in our spirit because you, you're right in that environment. Yeah. You see it all. And see, when I was young, like I told you, by the household I was in, um, seven, eight years old, I was totaling up all the bills in the household. And I was going and paying them. I'd ride a bicycle down here and pay the water bill at the municipal building, going out on Green Street at a different, uh, uh, or my granddad, you know, I call him dad, dad, be done, my dad, be done, borrowed money from the place, so you, he's paying the bill every weekend and stuff like that. I mean, I was taking care of all of that at a very young age. So it was building that when I was uh, working at, when I said red and white, after school, seventh grade, we were taking, go there Fridays and Saturdays and, and taking out, start um, just bag up teachers' groceries and yeah. things of that nature. and take it to the car, they give you a dime, 25 cents, and eventually they start giving us, because we wouldn't get no pay. You were just doing it strictly for tips. And then um, at some point in time, the store, the Gurley family, Mr. Gurley, start paying us $5 for two days. You know, when I say two days, I mean after school on Friday and all day Saturday. I would take that $5 and give to my mother, who raised wow. us, and I would keep all the tips for myself, you know, and stuff like that. And if something was on sale in the store, I know we needed it. We would go ahead and purchase it and stuff. Things was, you know, things were very affordable back then. So an entrepreneur spirit has always been there. You know, going to the store and going to sweeping off people's porches and stuff like that, and they give you a dime and fifteen cents. So you see the value of of having a work ethic. Even though I said the longest I really ever had a job when you punch a clock was was uh, eighteen months. Um, it's not because I didn't want to work. It's just because I think and I've always believed, and I don't see it in the different that America is not designed for the workplace for an entrepreneur spirit, nor for a good, friendly, and wholesome relationship among employees. Yeah. You got a person who may make a quarter more than you he's your supervisor, which amounts to $10, but he want to talk to you like you got a tail. <laughs> All I want to do is just do my, you nip it with a, will you tell me what I'm responsible for? You ain't got to stand over me and be hollering at me and screaming like you ain't got good sense. I'm out. That don't work well for me. Got you. And so those kinds of things that just kept me moving, realizing I realized that these were going to be a problem for me. So I had to find a way to do some things for myself. So you hit and miss in life. You know, you end up doing things you don't want to do, but that's life. Yeah. And then you try to, you know, ask God for forgiveness and you move on. But politics is what you was asking me about. So let me get back to that. But as I be, so, so I would go and just help AK, you know, as he run for these different seats and stuff like that. And, um, I would help him, but I'd gone back to my business because I was not a believer in the political system. Why not? Um, it's just, you know, you, when you come out of the street, you have a mindset about everybody's crooks. You ain't got time to do that. Even though he was not, I didn't perceive him to be one. It's just a general, but he had a, a knack for it. And so I would support him, but I would leave. And then back in the 90s is when it really dawned on me that I need to do something. I saw something on television one day, and it really... I almost want to say it disturbed my spirit, but it was an awakening. And I saw an issue being discussed, and I believe I figure I had a, a, a take on who was talking. I said, man, I'm joking about that. I could be dead wrong. That's just my, my opinion. And I started looking at the news. I started looking at the news 6, 7 o'clock in the morning. I started looking at the news at noon. I started looking at news at 6 o'clock. Those were about the three prime times right, right then. And my wife is asking me, what are you looking for? It's the same news, man. You know, on any day, you got the same thing. Unless there's some breaking news in the middle of the day. But what I was, well, at that time, I was digesting the presentation and how people's opinion were being uh, formed 
based on how the anchor and the journalist was reporting the news, mm. you know. And I just studied that for quite some time. And then I began to, at some point in time, I've done this about three years. Then I began to start listen, look, listening to the likes of Austin Rose and look, listen to what he was saying. How long ago was this? We were talking in the 90s now. Austin Rose was around then too? Yeah. I'm mm-hmm. not from here, so I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't yeah. not sure. And so in the, in the 90s, I started just listening to him. And then I, as I began to look at all these things, and then one day, after about three and a half years or so, God, something just hit me like a, a revelation, or an epiphany, as they say. And it just said to me, Vernon, so you really know there's not a problem, there's not a problem for you, don't you? Mm. And then I realized, then I realized it was more about us than it was about anybody else. Decision that we made. You know, you're learning that people say, you know, life is not so much about what happened to you, it's about how you respond. Right. And see, so that's what we, so we, we do all these emotional responses, and that's what gets us in more trouble. And also, people to get when they do, when you do that, they say, well, see, didn't I tell you? <laughs> they can predict your behavior, and at this point, so didn't I tell you? Yeah. And you shouldn't, we shouldn't be that predictable. And so, in 2005 and 2006, I started a, tele, a radio program called Can We Talk? And in doing that, I was buying time on WKZK. And it was a talk about the things in our community. And then that was in January 1st, 2006, I started that program. But prior to that, in 2005, I started going to commission meetings, stuff like that. And so uh, in September of 2006, I went to Comcast and asked about doing a program on there because I saw also had a program called, uh, I forgot what it was called, Connect Live. And then I asked the guy, Bill Botham, and he says, uh, he said, Ben, I, you know, I, I got his number from Cher Bass. Um, and so she says, um, so I called him, Bill Botham. I said, I told him who I was. He says, uh, Ben, I said, Bill, I said, I got a television, I mean, a radio program. Can you all advertise on my radio program? Because I'm, I'm, I'm funding the program out of my pocket. Yeah. My funds are getting depleted, so I can't continue to do it. And he said, well, Ben, I can't, I'm not a person to do the advertising, but let me direct you who the advertiser person is. He said, but I can tell you what could happen for you. He said, you can come to Connect Live on every Monday night with Austin and talk about pol- politics. And from there, it's going to run 21 times a week. People get a chance to see you. You probably can pick up advertisement that way. I said, well, can y'all give me a program then? And that's how God works. Now, just listen, follow me here. He says, uh, well, no, Ben, I really can't give you a program, he said, because it's not designed to make money. It's put like a PSA, and my boss would get rid of me if I gave a create another program. I said, okay, that's fine. So immediately, I talked to a couple of persons. One was my mentor, Grady Abrams, who is now deceased, who um, I asked him what did he think, and he thought about it. He said, yeah, you do it. Go ahead and do it. And so I started going on every Monday night. And, you know, after also does a first segment of the program, but last 15, 20 minutes, sometimes myself, him, and Sheriff Bess mm. discuss politics. Sometimes just me and him, we discuss local politics. Remember, I got no formal training now. Yeah. <laughs> and so in December of that year, very same year, it was HIV, AIDS, and Awareness Month. Yep, that December. So I went back to Bill Botham and said, Bill, I said, you know, at this time he's familiar with me. He, he comforted with me, even though he told me he knew he was familiar with me from day one, somebody I never laid eyes on. And I said, can I do a program about this? This is our month. He said, yeah, Ben, go ahead. I got on that. I invited, I think, Deke Copenhagen, someone from MCG came. And we talked about it. And there was somebody else who was down. And I called a program, Comcast Community Concerns, where we're always moving our community to the future. That was my day. And then when the program was over, he said, Ben, he said, I like that. He said, you can do this program every other week if you want to. So I started doing this. So now I'm dealing with Austin show, and I'm doing this every other week. 
Then in December, I brought on Minnesota Fats, Richard Roundtree, he was not Sheriff Roundtree at the time, and some others, we talked about something. He came back to me and said, Ben, you can do this program every week if you want to. Mm. Remember now, it's a program I couldn't have. I've done that program for seven and a half years. A program that I was told I couldn't have. Wow. And, and you end up going from you couldn't have it to bi-weekly From 2006 to, to mid-2013. Wow. Seven and a half years. Seven and a half years. Seven and a half years. And uh, an interview pretty much everybody, uh, you know, in this town who's running for office at that particular time. I interviewed all of them. And so in 2014, and so I, but at the meantime, I'm going to all the commission meetings, all the committee meetings. You're in the mix, pretty much. I'm in the you're mix. in the mix. I'm in, you're I'm just in the mix. Not, I'm listening. You're, someone, not, you're not a politician at this time. And so, no, I'm not. I'm not. So 14 is when I ran. And what happened in 14, I wasn't planning to run. It was, I was putting out newspapers, putting out my paper. Because at this time, I started a newspaper in 2011 called Urban Pro Weekly. Sound familiar? Oh, yeah. Sound very familiar. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and myself and I had a business partner, Frederick Benjamin. And so I distributed the paper every week. I get advertisement. My role was to get advertisement, distribute the paper every week. Off the barber shop, beauty shops, everything. And um, I was distributing the paper, and this gentleman was going to run for District 4. It was Commissioner Sias, actually. And as I was going through Jamestown, I just put the paper, run in, put the paper, and bam. And I said, hey, man, how the campaign going? And I'm going to at the door. He never said anything. He just had this, this, this distant look on his face. And about two weeks later, I woke up almost like in a cold sweat. And I said, Sias not going to run. Now, this was my takeaway. Yeah. I said, if he's not going to run, I mean, who's going to run for the seat? that I'm comfortable with because I'm an informed participant now. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm going through my mind, my, my mind about who's, who's going to be there. Commissioner Mason is term limited. He's coming out. And so at that point, he, um, I called Mason. I got his number. Commissioner Mason, I called him. I said, Commissioner Mason, Ben, uh, ben her son, he said, hey, Ben, how you doing? What's going on? I said, listen. I said, Mason, I said, have anybody asked for your support for District 4? And he said, no, they have not been. I said, well, I'm interested in running. He said, Ben, he said, that's good to know. He said, but let me ask you something. He said, do you still stay in Pepper Ridge? I said, I do. He said, do you still stay the same place that you stay in? I said, I do. He said, well, you're not in four anymore. You're in six. I said, are you serious? He said, call Lynn Bailey. Because they had made separations over there. They changed the map. They changed it. And so when I called Lynn Bailey, she threw themselves in six. So now I'm, I'm back to square one. And then square one is, now I got to think in my mind, who's in District 6 that could represent me? I'm looking for the representative first, somebody that I can give my support to potentially, and then I couldn't come up with any names for that. And so at that point, I threw my name in the head, and that's how I got in the race. And I was successful, and I won in the runoff. It was five, five of us was in the and I won in the runoff. So your first time running, you won? Yes. Did you, when you ran, did you, did you kind of, was you confident that you were going to win at that point? or No, it, no, because most people, most persons right now, and I'll say this to you, you, you've been doing this for several years now. But be mindful because you have interviewed probably everybody under the sun, you know, mm -hmm. uh, in this, these few years. But if people see you how they see you as doing this, they don't see you as an elected official. Right. So you're starting from scratch. You may have some level of right, name recognition, but that doesn't necessarily transfer to them believing that you can do the job as an elected official. Right. So now you have to sell yourself in that capacity. Now, trust me, I will take the name recognition because some people start out with none. But don't think that's automatic because everybody knows you. Right, right, They right. still have to see you in that capacity. So now you have to sell yourself in that capacity and you have to sell yourself uh, in, a, in a life to put together your why and what you bring to the table 
and you have to work harder than anybody else. My philosophy was that I couldn't lose. Now, what does that mean? Because either I was going to win the election the way to be, become the elected official, or I was going to win because I'm going to give it all that I had. I was going to have no regrets. Mm. And if I didn't win, that's, that's God's choice and not mine. We don't determine outcome. God determines outcomes. You give it our best shot. At that point, to, from, from what you're telling me, at that point, people probably still veered you as, one, your brother's brother. Mm-hmm. All right, so that's exactly. one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I Good got point. that. I got that thing. My brother, my brother, my brother played basketball. Yeah. So I hear a lot of times people say, well, your podcast only popular because your brother played basketball. I'm like, <laughs> hey, look, I ain't got nothing to do with that. But yeah. So they see you as that. Yeah, exactly. And then also you coming from, you're not um, politically polished. Right. For, for better terms, right? right? You, you, you're not in that world. You're just right. kind of dibbling down, but you come from outside, which is mm-hmm. quote unquote, be the street for most of us. Right. You come from that lifestyle. Mm-hmm. So then to be, I guess, on billboards or say vote for me, people yeah. are like, oh, is the A track player? Mr. A track? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. And, and, but these, that's what somebody knows you as. Yeah. yeah. So is that hard to, was that a hard pill to swallow? Did you know already at that point, I got to kind of, uh, Give them this image that I can do this. Like, yeah. how, how was your campaign like? Well, my, my camp, it, was, it was it was it was rugged. It was hard. You know, it was hard to hit to get out there every day, uh, beat the pavement, uh, hit people's doors where people want to see you to earn their vote. Vote because you know people's first thing people say. Well, I ain't never seen you at my door before. You ain't, you ain't never came by my house. You want me to vote for you? I don't even know who you is. And I can say, well, man, you've been knowing me for 20 some years, but I know that. I remember you selling tapes down there, but that ain't got nothing to do with you. Talking about <laughs> I mean, you you get that. Tapes in the pocketbooks. You know, you get that. But the thing about it, really, people see you as they see you. You don't have to change your mind and sell yourself that you can do the job. And there was no doubt in my mind I could do the job. There was no doubt in my mind I could do it. Okay. So uh, you get in office. Mm-hmm. This is new to you. This right. is not, right. mm-hmm. it's not, it's not what you're used to. Mm-hmm. You're not selling anything now. Right. Well, I hope not. Some politicians right. do sell things. Right. But, you know, uh, so what? Tell me, tell me about that experience. Um, not over a, a easy, uh, easy uh, commission either. That's mm-hmm. not easy. Well, well easy what happened? Yeah. Well, what happened? Like I say, it was about five of us in the race. So we went to July twentieth of that year, and I won in a runoff. Be the white guy. So with me winning, it switched switch on the commission to balance of power. Because previous to that, it had been five five, and then I think from two thousand nine or ten, eleven, twelve, it was six four the other way. And then it came back when Commissioner Flannoy won and made it back 5-5. He won in 12, uh, took off in 13. And then when I won in 14 and started in 15, now the, the power has shifted. For the first time, there's a majority black commission. Gotcha. Now, in that happening, my, the previous commissioner was Commissioner Joe Jackson. He lost his wife around May of that year, and he had two kids. So he came to me right after I won the runoff in July because I'm still coming to the meetings, and he pulled me to the side in the back. He said, Ben, just want you to know that uh, since you won now, they're probably going to, commission probably going to come to you and try to get you to go ahead and take the seat and swear you in early because, you know, I lost my wife, and with that I got my two babies I need to take care of and uh, want to see, you know, that, that's going to be okay with you. Then the next thing, here's the next thing he said. He said, Ben, he said, I want you to know, I try to be a man of my word. He said, I've always uh, pledged not to raise taxes. But what I want to tell you, we need the money. Mm. 
You know, that's okay. Now, I understood why, and I, I tell you that. I said, I understood why, that's okay. So, when, about two weeks later, uh, I was sworn in. One of the favorite votes I had was to raise taxes. Now, here's why that was important. And this is why this is always, politics is interesting. In February of 2014, we had an ice storm here in Augusta. I remember that. With that, the city of Augusta had about $32 million in their fund balance. They spent $18 million that to clean the city up. $18 million. So now you only have $14 million. If anything happened, that's all you got. That's all you got. So when I come on, that's the first vote. And so when we voted, Mason, the four white voted against it. Remember that the white guy always told me when my guy, the prime president was white. Gentlemen. Right, right, right. Said he wouldn't do it, but now he, but you, he, but you see the city needs it. He just wouldn't do it. He wasn't gonna do it, so they tore me in. So now, but they had a strategy, but it didn't work. Um, so it's four whites, six blacks. When they voted, the four of them voted no. Mason voted no. So that means it's five blacks who voted and four, four, four whites and one black. Now it comes back on Mayor Copenhagen to break the tie. He broke the tie. He probably said being why is that important? It's important because possibly what would have happened, they would have said that the black commissions done raised the taxes. Mm. Makes sense. Okay. See? Okay. And see, but we need, but the city needed the money. So I would think they had a fiduciary responsibility to vote for. They knew what the city budget was like. And just because you made that, it's just like you said, well, man, I didn't plan to use my reserve funds. I didn't plan to do some things. But here's a catastrophe that was beyond my control. I have to take, I have to do something different now. And they wouldn't vote for it, you know? But they figured that the six of us would, but Mason made a, made a, a move, and now it came back on Mayor Copenhagen, so Mayor Copenhagen had to break the, break the tie. And so we began to replenish our fund over time. We replenish, but we needed, the city needed the money. And in, 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 in those kind of situations, I talked to John Johnson one time, I had him on, and in those type of situations when, is it ever a thing where like, Somebody just won't vote for something just because you brought it up. Like, if that's a that's a Ben idea, and I don't, I I don't, I just like Ben. Yeah, I'm not voting for it. I don't care. I, no, my vote is no. Yeah, you have and, small. And, and and how did how does that work? Far as with because it's ten of y'all, right? Yeah, yes, ten commissioners. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, that happens, uh, and it shouldn't happen because ultimately you're voting the ideal and not the person. And in, and all good come from God. All harm we bring on ourselves. So it's a good idea. If the idea comes from you and me, you are arch enemies. If I understand my real, real deep within myself on the surface of it, I may say, man, why didn't you with that head? Man, I can't stand his gut. But when I think <laughs> about it, it's good for the community. All good comes from God. God decided to give it to you. I didn't give it to you. And so I have a responsibility <laughs> to seriously consider that and to vote for it because it's not for benefit of you. It's a benefit of the community. But small-mindedness is involved in politics, and as a result, that people can't get themselves out of it because we're all human. And, it's, and the community suffer when those things happen. Now, that's who suffer. Um, what what is if you if you the job like? And I ask everybody this, but to you, tell me what what is the job of the commissioner? The job of the commissioner, we should be making policy and procedures, letting your administrator and other in the department here carry those things out. But one thing about the way this government works, commissioners are, is pretty much. We all over in everything. 
You know, we we almost trying to run the government as opposed to letting the administrator run the government. And so with that, that creates, it puts many times department heads in the crosshair. I'll put your administrator in the crosshair as opposed to just giving them instructions and getting back out of the way. You hear them saying now about letting it become a, a, a what you call a manager style of government or either administrator style of government. But it ain't gonna change because you change that. Because right now, just say you got a, the manager, if the commission right now with just as an administrator, if they wanted to say, we just want to make policy, they can do that now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're not, So this is a power move because you, try, you, you it's a power move. Let me tell you why it's a power move. Because they're figuring if the six blacks decide to work together in a very informative way, then it puts them at a disadvantage. But if we can turn it to a manager and they change the power structure, then they have enough influence to get over into those things beyond that where other entities who can influence that person. So it's, it's, you can stop, you can leave, you can stop those habits right now. It's I, a power I, move. I asked about the commissioner thing because I, I, I wanted to know your take on like people not valuing or taking it seriously or I don't know, but like the local politics, I feel like, and I know it's all important, but I feel like if I, if I live in Pepperidge, I live in Augusta, Jordan, Pepperidge, to me, and I got Pepperidge issues. I have Augusta issues, not mm -hmm. national. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the to me the more important part. I need to follow. I need to go. To, I need to be watching the commissioners' meetings. I need to try to come to a few. I need to know who my commissioner is. They mm -hmm. nah know how to find this person. Know where the person's duties are. Because a lot of times I see people. They say, "Well, I'm not I'm not voting for this person." Or Trump was bad because Obama was bad because of this. And then they give me issues or I hear issues why they was bad. I'm like, that's not that person's job. The, yeah. That's that's your local politics mm -hmm. job. But then they can't tell me who their commission is. Yeah. Or yeah. the number, email, nothing. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what happened. What, what people don't have a tendency to miss it. All politics are local. Because you have more opportunity to have an impact on the local level than you do on the national exactly. level. So it's backwards. If you take and go to November, you will see in those presidential state races, our voting goes through the roof. And they move when we're voting in May now. Yeah. Now, remember now, why, you know how you got to May, right? Because right. when they saw the dynamics changing, they, they, the state legislators took and moved the election cycle to May for commissioners, local elected officials, and the commissioners in particular, and the mayor, assuming that blacks wouldn't come out. Mm. Those, those, those were those moves was about. Makes sense. And so in doing that, but it still has not worked. But still, you may be 10% down for what you're doing in, in May compared to November, when really they should equal or you should surpass that because this is what you have the greatest impact on. This is where you can look us in the face with some level of accountability if you do your due diligence. Now, the worst thing can happen to any elected official is to get into a spat with a and uninformed or uninformed electorates, uh, people who think they know what's going on and they don't, and they're following what they hear on the news, and nothing can be further from the truth. You need to do your own due diligence and have a conversation with elected officials because that's where you get more bang for your buck on the local level. Uh, well, well, describe your time for me. Uh, how, long, how long were you a, were you a commissioner? Uh, a total of 100 months, meaning that eight years and four months. <laughs> you know, because of those four months that I went out, because I went in the end of April, you know, so I was there for, I was there April, I'm sorry, I'm saying April, August, August, September, October, November, December of 14, gotcha. which I shouldn't have really been in office until January, January. 1st, 
of 15. So really, it would have been 96 months, but because but, yeah, right. you got it early. It had been, been, been 100 months. I, I think it was a it was an experience that I will always be grateful for. Uh, I'm proud of the body of work that I did. You couldn't get everything done what you wanted. Uh, I tried to stand strong for what I believe was right. I tried to answer as many phone calls as I could. Um, I'm sure I've missed some. I'm sure everybody's not satisfied. But it's not because I didn't try. I didn't ignore people, um, whether it was in my district or whether it was not. I done what I could because really, ultimately, I don't have the final say. So six votes drive this train. Mm. Um, I think Augusta's a great city, and um, but I'm, I'm I'm satisfied my body work, and I think there are a lot of people who do appreciate uh, what I did. I do I do think so. I think they're more satisfied than they are dissatisfied. I honestly believe that. I was gonna ask you that. I wonder, like, what, what 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 kind of feedback do you get about your time being commissioner for that area? Like, is it? Like, what what are some things they say like about you? As far well, as well, first thing they said, they never had a commissioner be responsive as, as I was. That's great. You know, to to because I I didn't give out my city phone number. I give my personal cell phone number, and um and if you called me about a pothole um in your neighborhood, no matter where it was, sometimes it didn't have to be in my district. But if I go there and I look at it, I'm going to take a picture of it. I took a picture of it and I sent it to the engineering department. And then three or four days later when they, they tell me when it's going to get done, I go back to make sure it's done. Mm. And stuff like that. So I did that the whole term I was there. Sometimes some commissions got a little upset with that. But that's what it's about. Because, why, why, why would they get upset with that? Though? Well, well, well sometimes because my stuff was a lot of was hands-on. Gotcha. You know, I didn't have the ability to sit there and text. I mean, sit there and... Um, Send all these emails and stuff that way, you right. know? I find some stuff to be in person. I'd rather walk up in there and say, hey, this is what needs to be done. I would send a picture for sure, and i get a good response. But there's a lot of time I just I like to walk the halls and try to make sure that we, we understand one another about so, what's trying to get done. So as a commissioner, like, what, what, what's, some things somebody, what's some things people can call their commissioner for? I know you mentioned Powell, but like, what other calls can, can a commissioner get? Well, well, they can call about the, the, the street lights. When those street lights out, they can call about certain policies that they think needs to be done. They can call about the grass, you know, next to them house where the people are neglecting their rights and responsibility about keeping the neighborhood clean. They can call about that. They can call about anything you want this local government. Okay. You know, the only thing you can't do really, you may call and say, and Ben, I want to talk to you about the sheriff. I said, well, I can take a complaint, but I'm not the sheriff's boss. Mm. You know, elected officials, you elected them, you know. But most people think that we are over the sheriff and we're not. We, you know, naturally we give them their budget, but the sheriff is a constitutional officer. You have four constitutional officers, and those persons, they're, they're written into the state constitution, and they're pretty much on islands out there by themselves. But we, we, do, we do handle everybody's budget. But once we give them their budget, they do what they want to do with their budget. They pay their people what they want to pay them. That's not, you know, nothing we can do. The state gives them that right. So being in politics, how do you... Uh how do you handle when something immediate happens? Whether it's a, a, a let's say it's a, a killing, let's say it's a crime, let's say mm. it's something that happened and it's garnished a lot of attention. Maybe the sheriff does speak out, doesn't speak out, whatever. Maybe it's a uh, a new ordinance they got in play. You you you're not agreeing with it. Mm -hmm. Is it okay to speak out? Can you not speak out? Do you give your take? Do you have to do it a certain way because you're in politics? Like how does that work? Well, let's let's do the, let's do the ordinance. This is an ordinance was passed, and, you know, and I didn't agree with the ordinance. And, and I'm in a meeting, and they're asking about the ordinance. I can say, well, let me just say for the record, 
if you check the record, you call down the clerk's office on this day and time and ask the clerk to give you the records, you will see that I voted against the ordinance. However, once the ordinance passed, it is the law. I have to abide by it now. Mm. So I'm not, so, I, so it's no good, it'll do me no good to stand here and speak against it at this point. It is passed. It's kind of like the little child left behind. Remember how long we started talking about, you know, we talking about no child left behind. With George Bush and them put in place, it's calling our kids to, kids to fail. But guess what? It was the national standard. <laughs> yeah, no, so, you can do so, so if you were arguing about it for eight years, you're not trying to figure out how you can make this thing work for you. You're spending all your energy trying to undo it. something that yeah. is the law of the land. So you, we can't do that. Once it passes, you find a way, if possible, to make it work for you at that point. You, you know, and that's what you do. There's plenty of times I mean, you've seen something, man, I can't afford it, man. You know, I, can't, I, I want them new shoes, but I can't afford them. The more you think about it, you say, well, probably I can if I put this aside, this aside, this yep. aside. Your initial reaction was right on. But once you start thinking about how important those things were, you found a way. So if you have the will, you can find a way to do these things. And that's what we have a tendency to forget because we want to be combated or we don't understand that we have to go through a process in our mind that if you really want to accomplish things that we can get there. We can get there. It can be gotten there. We can get there. Uh, I was, well, yeah. How did you, if you ever did, how did you stand out between, like, uh, amongst your other nine peers as far as commissioners? Well, I, I think most of them would say that being a son done his due diligence. You know, I done my due diligence. They would, they would, you know, I would, they would know I would, I would read my agenda book. Um, I'd be abreast of what we, what we voted on. Something's going to get past you. But for the most part, I think all of them would agree that he's going to do his due diligence now. I may not agree with it, but he's going to do his due diligence. And why is that important to me? It's important to me because if we know what the, if I know what the law is, I'm not going to, you come and say, hey, Ben, you know, man, we need to vote on this thing, man. And I said, well, why? Well, see, man, I think we need this. I said, but why? What, what does the, the law say about it? He said, well, I don't know what, I said, well, here's what the law says. It don't mean we can't do something different, you know what I'm mm -hmm. saying, because six votes can change it, the law, you know what I'm saying, if need be. But the point is, I want you to be abreast that I know what the law is. Now, if we want to change it, we can do that. But the first thing to do is know what the law is so you know what your rights are, and I think that's important. So my colleagues, and many of them will call me from time to time and say, Ben, what about this? What about that? Because I got that book and I went through it. I don't mean I always interpret everything correctly because I'm going to ask somebody too. Something look, I got kind of look forward to me. Okay, what does this mean? And but, but at the end of the day, um, I done my due diligence and I voted on things best on my understanding of them. And like I say, uh, I thank God for the opportunity to serve, and I have really no regrets. A couple of you know, some things you may do different, but overall, I'm a, I appreciate the body working opportunity. You mentioned voting, and, and you said something. You said that if somebody wanted to see what you how you voted for it. Mm -hmm. I guess that's public information. Yes, so even yes. if something get passed, let me just use uh, the only one I know about is like the pan, the pan sag or, or mm -hmm. say we're trying to do it one time. Let's say that that get that gets approved or whatever. Mm -hmm. You can still go see who voted and who didn't vote for it. Yes, you can you you can call the clerk's office, and now I think now they've set up different that you call the administrator, but the clerk office will direct you where you need to go. So just the same, and uh, PIO public information officer, you put in that request. If it takes them a very limited amount of time, you have it in a minute. But if it's going to take some extensive research, then they're going to charge you after a certain amount of time to get it. Okay. You know what I'm saying? But let's say you learn how to go on the, on the city's website and search for things yourself. Because there's a system there that, um, that if you had a tutorial, 
you'll know how to start doing those things for yourself. And you can save those times and stuff like that. But all the minutes are there. That's what you look when you look. If you look at the meeting online, you'll see down in the front of the commissions, you'll see four persons there. You'll see the, the clerk there, the clerk's assistant on one side, and on the other side, you'll see the attorney and you'll see the administrator. That clerk is recording all the minutes, everything that's transpired. Mm. All the googly gar, all that, <laughs> all that's there. And you ask for the minutes, she can, get, she can give you all of that. So nobody can't bullcrap you about what they did and what they didn't do. This is on a tangent because you said something earlier, and I, I'm, I'm, I like how you how you um, maneuver through things. So I try to let you rock that way. But Austin Rose, like, um, how was that or recording him? Because people don't people don't really like him like that. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not swaying you to feeling away yeah. about him, but um, I know that he has a reputation now. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was the same back then. Mm-hmm. I don't know. 2005. <laughs> I don't know what that was like. <laughs> you know, but I know now. Yeah. My people, I'll say for sure, don't, don't, don't like him. They're just yeah. not a fan of him. They think yeah. everything you talk about black news is always something negative. Yeah. What was he like back then? Well, I, and, I, and I know how you feel because I, I, I was listening to y'all. I heard y'all was talking about oh, the yeah. report. I don't play around. See, yeah. You, so yeah. Uh, no, no. My point was, and that's why I asked, should I go? And the question was that, yes, we need to be heard at the table. See, I always remember, and, and I think it's a very unique, interesting um, adage, and that is, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Mm. And so there was an opportunity given to me to be at the, at the table and to put our perspective on our politics. You know, not that I had a monopoly on how we think, but at least from a black perspective, the voice was there. Right. And so um, in working with him, I didn't try to change him, you know, and he didn't try to change me. We just done our debate. And so we had a good friendly relationship in that regard, nothing beyond coming and going in the studio. <laughs> just, just, just that, right? Um, because I was concerned about my image in my community because I got to live here. See, I can't be engulfed by other person's relationship and patting me on the back at a boy and telling me how smart I am. I'm the smartest black they ever met. That don't mean nothing to me. I don't. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I don't even want to hear that one. You know what I'm saying? Because I know my, I understand my people. And, and, and we don't need that, but you do need to be at the table. You know, even when they were protesting against him, um, um, I, I stayed there. You, you probably don't remember this, but I, there was protesting. Myself, he and Cheryl Bess was, was there, and they were protesting. Back in the uh, day, about, too? Yeah, when he said something about the Duke lacrosse young lady. Remember that? And uh, the young lady, the, the Duke players. And I, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and he yeah, made yeah. a comment, I think, called her nappy-headed so-and-so, so-and-so. Yeah. With that, it caused an outrage. Uh, Shea Best called me. I was out working, hustling, doing my thing. And you said, entrepreneur, you scared you were hustling. <laughs> and so, and she said, Ben, she said, hey, Shea, how you doing? She said, I want you to know I can't come on the show no more. Also, Shea, I said, what happened? And he told me, what, and I said, yeah, I said, Shea's a black woman. I understand that. I said, but you know, I, I can't just leave for that. And so not only that, every Monday night, like we, we laughed, for almost several months, there were people protesting outside the building. I'd have to walk past the protests and go in there because I wasn't going to give up the seat at the table. Now, now, now you see two prongs going on. Yeah. Now, we didn't organize that. Probably the ones who protested probably had a beef with me. But why give up the seat at the table? You know? And so you're successful in doing what you're doing. You're protesting outside the building, and I'm going on the show to let it be known still that our voice will be heard. And I was there until the point they took him off the air. And they eventually took him off the air. The you know, took him off. You just told me some history because I remember that. I remember that being the thing. Mm-hmm. 
I did not know that was him till just now. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, it was it's even on some cartoon <laughs> show. I just looked it up. I was like, oh, that's him for real. Yeah. Yeah. I knew he, well, I ain't gonna say that. I knew that he had his, he has his uh, ways about yeah. when it comes to black uh, yeah. news. Yeah. That just made it worse. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. And that's, yeah. Yeah. And so I, and so I didn't, I, I, you know, it was, it was a no brainer for me. You can't, I couldn't give this up because number one, why we, can't we chew bubble and walk at the same time? So if you outside protesting, you could do that, but now don't, don't, don't put pressure on me that I need to walk away from the seat of the table. Right. Because right, what right. if you are not successful in what you're doing? Now you're doing what is morally right, but also morally right. I divorce me to be a typical. We're not talking about that. Eventually that'll take care of itself. And it did take care of itself. But I wonder if they I wonder if people looked at you that way as well. Like, you know, you talk about people looking at you as the hustler or, you know, the A-track man or uh, uh the entrepreneur. But at the same time, there's some probably voters who like, that's the guy who was with Austin Rhodes. Well, people, people, people did. I mean, there were certain people. My father almost got into a physical confrontation. Not at, not with not with, not at that moment. Um, but when you become a public figure and when you have some level of independent voice, independent thought, you're going to always have people that you're going to have issues with you because most people think that we're monolithic in how we think. And I've never been away because I'm trying to be, a, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to win. Mm. I'm not trying just to be, you know, you, like, like, let's go back to the, to the, to the people's stores we, who else we do business with. We feel better about ourselves because I can go in the store and I can crush the man out. Mm-hmm. Let me know how I feel. But I'm back there getting my money. Mm-hmm. Ain't no real value in that. At all. Because ultimately, he wants the money. He don't care what you call it. I Just call you. me. <laughs> I work in retail. I'm the same way. I'm like, y'all curse us out every week, but y'all come back here and spend money. And so, and, so, and so the thing is that that's not my point. I'm trying to figure, put us in a position that we need, to, we need to win. And winning means that we have to benefit from what we're doing, and we don't have to benefit at other people's expense. That's not what this life should be about. I believe in the creation, the natural creation. God has created ample for all his creatures. Now, if other people feel different about us, now that's their problem. They ain't mine. What about your brother? Like, what, what, how did he feel when you was doing the show with Austin Rhodes? Well, he didn't have a problem with it. So guess- but he wasn't one of the persons that I asked. He was not one of the persons <laughs> okay. that I asked. He really good. was not. I had another friend. You know, I tried, I had another, but, my, but my mentor, I had two, only two people, two people. And they said, you need to do it. And, they, and when it came down, you need to stay. And sometimes that's all it takes. That's, because but, because I knew what, where their heart was. Right. And, that, and that's all I needed. And I thank God for it. You know, because we, we, we have to have a voice out there. When, when, when did you make Urban Pro Weekly? When did that come about? It came out in, it came out in uh, that was in 2000, I believe August of 2011. Myself and Frederick Benjamin, um, who was uh, my business partner at the time, we met at um, on the corner of Walton Way, at Popeye's on Walton Way there, Walton oh, Way, Gordon yeah. Highway. I love that Popeye's. And so um, I called him and told him I was thinking about a newspaper. And, um, and we met him, met there and he started talking. He said, well, Ben, you know, you know, he's kind of, he's old school. He's from the hippie era, smart as a whip, good guy, heart of gold. And um, so he said, he said, well, Ben, you know, I put a paper together, man, for you, for this amount of every week or every two weeks, whatever you want to do. So I let him get to talking. I said, Ben, I said, you want to put together paper for me? I said, because you want a paper? You deserve a paper? You know how to put a paper together? The only way I do business with you is we come and do business partners together. He said, you serious? I said, yeah. I said, because I'm not going to invest in you to put a paper together for me 
in in a short period of time, I'm looking for the paper, and you don't want to start your own paper. Yeah, yeah. And I said, I would want to be mad with you, but I can't be mad with you. So I think the best way is we come in together, and be. And he said, What kind? I said, I said fifty fifty. I said, Here's what I said. You put the paper together. I don't care. Whatever you do with the paper, I'll seek advertisement. I'll distribute the paper. Two weeks later, we had a paper. Mm-hmm. Well, never, never had a disagreement. I got out of it in December 2014 because, because once I became a commissioner, I realized from, from August that I realized I couldn't do that body of work without the study and still uphold my end of the bargain with the paper. So, it, so it, I gave it, him my share of it. It would have been fine to do it. Like, it's no, nothing illegal about it. Oh, nothing illegal that, about it. But you just couldn't take that workload on and do what you were doing. I, and take my, no, because, you know, I, I, don't, I don't function that way. I'm almost like I, 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 I'm, I'm not, it's hard for me to do, to do a dual task. Right. Because what, what I was doing, I was going out seeking advertisement, and then I was picking the paper from the, because we end up in that spirit of span of time with about three different destinations a printers that we actually was dealing with. But I would go, and the last one I was going was the Statesboro, you know, mm. going and getting the paper and stuff like that and come back four days, Wednesday, Thursday morning, coming back Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I'm distributing the paper. And so my agenda book as a commissioner just getting in my hand on that Friday. I need to look through all it and read all the details. Right. The details is in there too. And then mm. I need to realize if it's something here that I wanted, I need to start making phone calls to my colleagues. Cause I don't know how they feel about it, so now I got to call and start twisting some arms or get my arm twisted. You know what I'm saying? And so it was just, and so I knew then that I, I couldn't do it, and so I gave him my 50% of it. Well, I, I'm just curious, because I, I, obviously I, I had a podcast with Karen going a couple years ago, a year ago, when she started to do stuff with the Urban Pro Weekly, and I think we'll talk this week at some point too about her new direction she's going in with it. But talking to our original, I guess quote unquote OG, right? Uh-huh. Original, uh, Urban Pro Weekly um, co-founder, mm-hmm. uh, what was the purpose of it when you initially set forth, I want this paper, you and Popeye's, which got great chicken, by the way, mm-hmm. you and Popeye's, and you said, I want a paper. Was it just for, for, for our people? Is that why it's called Urban Pro Weekly? Like, what was the whole mission statement at that time for Urban Pro well, Weekly? Pretty much, it was called Urban Pro Weekly, so you, that's, that's signifying who your target audience got is. You. But also wanted to give us something that we can be proud of. You know, you had a lot of sports and stuff in there. You had all those uh, different dynamics in there because Ben had the contacts with persons who was in that industry. My only uh, initial contact was him. And that's from having a relationship, from knowing each other from afar, never being in each other real space and knowing each other, just knowing what he was capable of doing, just watching him do it over the years with Augusta Focus and things of that nature. And, but it was the same thing to give us a voice, to give us an outlet to get in it. And one of the things that we did our first real success that we shouted Richard Roundtree, when he was running for sheriff. Mm. He, we were the only ally that he had just to get out his story. You know what I'm saying? The rest of the media, he didn't have a voice, per se, or didn't wasn't favorable, or just wasn't, in many ways, you know, favorable, I think it's a yeah. word that's used to. So it was important that we have a voice to begin to tell our own story, because what they said, if you don't tell your story, somebody else is going to tell it, and you may not like how they tell it. And so it gives us an opportunity to do that. It's no different than what I'm doing now with, with Speak Augusta. Same thing. But most time, this time, I'm a little bit more deliberate because where I believe the state of the country's headed and what I think the black community can add to it. But that mission has not changed. Well, I, this is a perfect segue into the Speak Augusta because I know that's what, mm-hmm. I know what we want to talk about. I'm just always curious and getting people's story because I just feel like, uh, you know, people could look at you now. Like to me, I, don't, I, don't, I know you differently now because I'm mm-hmm. talking to you, but like 
I know you as, oh, the commissioner of this yeah. district. You know what I'm saying? But somebody listening know you as, you know, I, I ain't saying he's a pusher man, but you know, like you got yeah. the you got the A track, you know what I'm saying? You know, you got all that stuff going on. And it's like they know a different yeah. bend, right? Yeah. And so I, I wanted to get that piece. And I think that you spoke well. And I, I love the story. Like your story is, is, is to me, yeah. it's amazing because I look at things I'm doing, and I'm like, I always ask myself, like, is that something I can get into? Yes, now. Or am I doing too much now to where I can't do it later on? But I probably can because I'm looking at this story. And I mean, you was had a show with Austin Rose and you still made it. So we all good to go. <laughs> now I'm playing, playing. <laughs> what, but it's about because your people are going to watch you and they're going to look and see, are you hurting them? Or do you represent them well? And that's what they want. Mm -hmm. When you can sit there and you can do debate with them about your position, that's what your people want. Right. They don't want you to get there misrepresenting everything he said you. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, you, you got to right, fight back. Right. Definitely. And, and that's, and that's the thing about it. Can you hold your own and can you represent your people well, even if you, don't, even if you agree that we could be too liberal around issues? You just have to find a way to say it. Yeah. And that's the thing about it. Find a way to say it where we don't get, because we can be overly sensitive sometimes about things. I always say when you're debating with somebody, that's the worst thing you can do is start to get in your feeling because you start to lose sight of the actual debating and mm -hmm. then you start to attack and that's and that's how they get you sometimes. It's a little trigger words they'll throw at you too yeah. to, to kind of get you off your yeah. off your square. But um, let's talk. I want to talk about speak Augusta. So uh, now you you started Urban Pro Weekly. You went to your politics and you you're successful in that. Give that up. Urban Pro Weekly is still doing its own thing now. Mm -hmm. More artsy now too mm -hmm. than, than sports, right? But uh, what's your like, what's your goal? What's your statement with Speak Augusta now? Because that's something you seem to be very very passionate about. Well, I, I think about what else. If you if it was to go to look at the editor in the paper, I think I'm gonna you know get my IT person to put the mission on that. Then then the mission statement, but mission. And what it clearly is saying there is that um, we have to deal with some issues in the black community, mm -hmm. the crime. The, the health issues, the, the appreciation or lack of appreciation for education. We got to deal with all those things, et cetera. We got to deal with all those things, and only we can deal with those things. And I apologize to the community in having this potentially public conversation about a private matter. But however, this is where we are. Mm -hmm. And Booker T. Washington, one of his most famous quotes is saying, cash your bucket down where you are. And so as a result, this is where we are. This is my greatest way to potentially reach people if they read the paper or potentially look at other things that I may take on uh, in terms of as I go on an adventure, then I'm going to have to use those tools and, and apologize not only for what we, what we say, but apologize for the, for the venue mm -hmm. that is on and hoping that they will say, well, okay, well, we need to have this conversation. And I'm not saying that I have all the answers. I'm putting that as a, we can start a conversation. And if we start a conversation, hope at the end of the day, we can come to great conclusions about how we proceed. That's what's most important. How do we proceed? How do we empower ourselves? How do we begin to add value to the black community? What sacrifices are we willing to make, you know, in our community? Those things is important. And so that's what I want to do. And you see me come back and I talk about what Junior Ford said and taking on these challenges. He said, if you think you can, if you think you can, he said, you're probably right. So it's all about your attitude. Right. It's all about your attitude. And we have to realize, is these things really worth it to us at the end of the day to try to look at and look at it and examine our own community? 
And, I'll, and then if we find issues that we know there are issues, are we willing to make the necessary sacrifices? And the sacrifices are investments. Those who invest in themselves and their community are successful. Those who neglect themselves and their communities are failures. You know, and so we have to look at our life that way. But not only that, in looking at ourselves, we also have to look at the state of the nation. We're not in the United States of America anymore. We're in the divided states of America. We're divided as a country now. Mm. When you look at what the Supreme Court, recent decisions, uh, and some of the decisions around uh, 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 not just the woman's right to choose, but other right, diversity and inclusion, all those things. You know, telling the higher institutions of learning that you don't have to consider race as a factor in doing what you're doing. You know, so when you're looking at a nation that's backing up and trying to move forward at the same time, it ain't going to happen. But who's going to be affected the most by that? We are. We're the whipping boys and girls in the course of all of these conversations. We look at what is happening in Florida now with DeSantis. Oh, he may have 191 bullet points in that piece of legislation down there about it. And it may be just one bullet point to say, well, black folks learned something in slavery, learned like it was a trade school mm -hmm. of some sort. Well, guess what? His, from historical perspective, that's what's going to be highlighted in the teaching. Yeah. Because anything we've ever gotten by legislative, ultimately, we didn't get the true benefit as we thought we did when it passed. So as those things be discussed, that's what's going to be highlighted. They didn't know who Christ Jesus was. We had to teach them about Christ. We, did, we had to teach them about, they didn't have, they were unskilled labor, and they learned a, a trade. Oh, harsh crap. <laughs> and so we have to realize that, 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 that there's a lot at stake here. And I think that our people, I really do. And I also believe a lot of that starts in of Augusta. I really do believe that, that, that we have an opportunity to make an impact in this nation because this nation needs help, because they're backing up and trying to go forward at the same time. This is on a tangent. I just got a question because you said something. Like, if, if somebody was to ask you like, about Augusta, like, what, what would you say Augusta means to you? Augusta means everything to me. Because Augusta, I, I, don't, I, don't, like, I don't run from a challenge. When, when I said play sports, if I picked a team, I didn't look around and say, give me Michael Jordan, give me Magic Johnson, give me Kareem, give me James Worthy, and, 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 and whomever. You know, and I definitely, I'm the fifth person because I got on the pick four. <laughs> so I don't do that. I'm trying to, it could be compared to be a good game. I'm not trying to have the, an advantage of that nature. I like, the, I like the struggle of it. I like that. So when I look at Augusta, I know it's a challenge. I believe that, the, that we here in Augusta is a special kind of black person. I really do. Uh, when you find people who are not from here, black people who come here, uh, a person who happens to be black, I would say, uh, come here, and they could be family members, and they'd be for any length of time. They said, man, well, what's going on with y'all down here, man? Augusta, man, y'all strange. <laughs> <laughs> and so my, my point is, if we get it right here, it can impact the nation. So the things that we come up, if we decide to make a conscious decision that we want to do better, I think we have the wherewithal in our human spirit that we can get there. But first, we got to realize that we got issues, that we're going to be in denial about it. We're not going to make any progress. But we all know it. We all know it. Would you say you and have not, that's not Augusta now. That's across the country, but more surely in Augusta as well. I'm sorry. No, you good. You good. But would you say you ever had a, or is there, because people, when people talk about Augusta, especially people are from Augusta, mm -hmm. they, they, they use terms as, you know, such as a crab in a barrel or 
um, weak market or mm-hmm. just stuff like that. I don't necessarily see that. I think it's a great market if you if you utilize it the way you need to utilize it. Um, and I think it's a major amount of support in the city as well. A lot of um, very talented people in the city. Mm-hmm. All, all, all facets, whether you're talking about mm-hmm. sports, whether you're talking about books, whether you're talking about smarts, you know, um, uh, academic-wise. Mm-hmm. I love the city. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what would you tell somebody that, that's, that's from here but talking bad about Augusta? Well, thing, you know, you kind of, you're trying to ease into a conversation to try to see, okay, what would they do? See, because it's easy for most people, you realize that you're, when they're talking, they, they're not even considering solutions. Mm. It's easy for them to highlight what they find to be the negatives so they can live right in that space. <laughs> and so not, they don't have to obligate themselves to do anything different. Everybody can complain. So, my first, so I want to discern from that conversation are we talking about doing something based on what we see? Are you just, are you just griping? Are you just got to ask to grind? And if a person wants to potentially make a difference and believe there's a possibility to make things different, then I'm prepared to engage. But if a person just said, no, I won't, I won't do it. I'm just telling you how I feel. Well, okay, well, good. We know how you feel. And I can, but I have to respect that. The person has a right to express how they feel. And so, but I believe if we make the decisions, as I said much earlier, I think we have a lot of great people who are moderates or conservative as well as liberals that we can put our head together. And, I'm, and I don't try to lead anything. I want to be a part of the team and have these tough conversations because we have to have a sense of direction, a sense of goals, a sense of achievements, a sense of sacrifice that we want to make to become better as a people. And I think we're capable of doing it. I believe God has brought us this far, and the best is yet to come. And I believe that, and I think that's where we have to be. And uh, I'm looking forward to that conversation. Well, with with, with um, your new platform, Speak, Speak, Speak Augusta, is this going to be a paper? Is it going to be a podcast? Is it going to be uh, virtual? Is it strictly uh, only legible? Like, how, how? what kind of platform is it going to be for the city? Well, currently right now it's an online newspaper. Okay. Um, but also, uh, in, a, in another week or so, we also have a podcast to go along with it. So we can speak to some of these issues and let the community weigh in on these conversations as well and hear more about what the long-term goals are. And even with the paper, we, we, are reaching, we reach out to people who wants to write. See, we don't have a monopoly on that. The, the, the articles that you see in the paper are articles and opinions of those writers. They're not my opinions. Mm-hmm. When I write something, I got with the, the editor there, and I got the one that you see on the, you had faith in the, the those are my Those are my personal opinions. But I also leave room to understand that I don't have a monopoly on good ideas. Other people do <laughs> gotcha. as well. So if a person wants to feel that they want to write something in the paper, we can look at it and put it in the paper. We're respectful of difference of opinion among our community. See, because I don't want us to get everybody else get inside of our head and want to say about, and they take us off the course of what we're attempting to do here. We have something to offer. We're going to force changes. And, when I, and in doing this, you have persons like yourself who've been out here for a minute. You have persons like Karen Gordon with the, with the, with the Urban Pro Weekly. You got other uh, persons, like you mentioned Ken Macon earlier. You got other persons who are doing podcasting. When we're coming on the scene, it, our goal is not to even attempt that we're trying to shut anybody else down. We're trying to make all of us much better. better. We're pushing all of us to another level so that our people will respect what we're bringing to the table at the end of the day. When you look at television on Monday through Thursday, you're going to see three or four hospital shows on each one of the stations. You're going to see, you're going to see 
five programs uh, about emergency EMS services. You're going to see that. You're going to see the de detective movers on each one of those stations. Why? What they're doing? You said, well, being, what does it have to do with anything? Because what you're witnessing ABC, CBS, and NBC, you know what they're doing? They're duplicating success. Mm. They're making money doing that. Well, it started with one of them. They watched it on that other, other network, and as a result of it, they created their own. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, you both know, they go to try to get actors who look exactly like that actor yep. <laughs> to try to, to magnify that they want to play. So it comes down then to which one of those programs that I'll fit. But we'll be watching the same show in many ways, just different characters in it. But we have a habit of duplicating failure, and they're duplicating success. So we got to get out of the habit of duplicating. And so what is failure? Grabbing a barrel, as you said much earlier. Not trying to work with each other. Not to encourage each other. Jealousy and envy. All those things is failure, but we won't move away from those habits. Mm. You say, well, Ben, it's human nature. Everybody, other people are jealous. But you and I is not in the condition. Our people are not in the financial stability place that where we can afford to bounce back when those things happen. When people badmouth you or badmouth me, we may not ever recover. True, true enough, yeah, yeah. And nobody's going to, I don't know anybody going to come to my aid. Now, you may not somebody come to yours, but that's what happened. We, take in, we snuff out good information in our community, and we rather deal with relationships, personal relationships. I've been knowing her. I've been knowing him. We went to school together. But we, now, all that's well and good. But when we come to the community, none of us have a right to compromise what is good for the community. Our relationship should not be that strong beyond that. And, and you make a good point because I think that you said we set, us up, set ourselves up for failure a lot of times too because when somebody is doing something similar or something that we deem to be kind of like mine, the first thing they say is, oh, they're trying to copy me. Yeah. Or they try to block whatever. One thing I can say for me, it's just in the podcasting sense, if somebody called me and said they're doing a podcast or they start on one or whatever, I've always been super supportive. Yeah. I just feel like I'm going to do what I'm doing regardless. Right, exactly. If you happen to do something and you take it to the next level, that's perfect. Yeah. yeah. That may be the inspiration I need, mm -hmm. or you may not take it to the next level, yeah. but you still made some kind of contribution mm -hmm. or you saw it wasn't for you. Mm -hmm. Cool, but what you're not going to mm -hmm. say is, he blocked me from right. doing X, Y, Z. Exactly. And yeah. I feel like that's important on all spectrums when you talk about our community and, and us as people. Because a lot of times we do that. We, we, we set ourselves up a failure by trying to block somebody thinking they they getting too close or only I can have the sauce, only I can have this connection, only yeah. I can have this relationship. Yeah. And it gotta be, it gotta be a, a, a bigger picture at some point. Absolutely. And, and, that, and that's what we, so we gotta push the envelope in that direction. We've done enough to hurt ourselves. So now what we do, we, what, what sacrifice we would have made to better ourselves. Yeah, and that's what and that's what our life should be about in this day and time. Because you look at you look at the land, the political landscape. The country is struggling. Our community is struggling. And so, if we don't do something, we're, we're afterthought. Yeah, we're we're only talked about on, from a national perspective, based on, and sometimes on the local level, is all our misgivings, never about what we bring to the table. Yep. And so that's the, those are the stories that we are trying to tell, but we don't have enough of it. And but we don't want and we don't want to, and, it, and the only way it's going to get better if for you and I, if we take in public positions to magnify that, that it's okay to acknowledge so-and-so that, that, that Bob is doing good work. It's okay to remember that Karen is doing good work. It's okay for us to say that. 
And as we begin to come in, we can force a breakthrough because that becomes something that we're not used to doing. We normally say, yeah, yeah, okay. I knew somebody else was going to do it, man. I I already (laughs) knew that was going to (laughs) happen. Well, you hope somebody would duplicate success. It kind of go back to what you were saying about uh, when an ordinance is set in place and you spend so much time trying to fight against the ordinance instead of just like, hey, look, this is policy. Let's go ahead and go from there and think of other ways to move around it, work around it. No, you just want somebody else to make it and you didn't want that person to make it. So it's like you wish that, you hope that, you had that in your mind already. You kind of planted that seed. So. Well, the thing about it is this. Here's, here's, here's what we all should want. Anytime we invest in somebody, number one, give them good information, and that's the best thing you can do. I had a gentleman I was talking to one day and he was telling me about what I owe him and what I owe him and what I owe him. I said, are you serious? Yeah, you ain't never gave me nothing. You never, I said, you know something? The best I ever gave was good advice. Mm. There's nothing better than giving good advice. When you, when you open up your scripture, that is good advice that God has given you from a historical perspective and how you won't make the same mistake that other people. Good advice. Now what you do with it is up to you. So, but here's my point is this here. Many times we invest in people or share with them and we want them to be beholden to us in doing that. No, we hope they be successful. They don't owe you anything. That's like paying it forward. You're just hoping they would do the same thing for somebody else. What we should be accept, upset about is when we give a person something and they squander it. Yeah. Not that they're successful. When they squander it. Now, that still don't give me a right to degrade them or to speak against them. But for sure, that, that, that should give us a heavy heart when they squander an opportunity. But anytime they do that and move forward and pay it forward, we should want that. Because that's what's going to cause us to, 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 to go to the next level as a people and add value to our community at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I definitely agree, man. Um, I, and I hope that people watching this realize that. And we might, I wanted the conversation to move the way it moves because I know a lot of stuff you talk about here today and how you spoke about it. It's kind of the same way you'll be talking about it on right. your podcast. Yes. Whether you're on there or you got a guest on there, right. however it works, I know it would be the same way of breaking things down uh, having a certain perspective, not shying away from other perspectives because yeah. multiple perspective is fine, but also standing on, you know, for us as far as that togetherness that we need. And um, even me reading the stuff that you sent, I liked it. So I like what I see from Speak Augusta. Um, and also, if it's something that I could do as far as like, uh, whether it's me or somebody from my demographic, my age group, whatever, that you need on or like as a guest, uh, you know, always reach out to me. I'm, I'm, I'm game for that. Um, I like to help. I like to be on other platforms sometimes too. You'll see that as well. Sometimes you're behind a mic so much and you're doing it so well and you're doing it how you're doing You're like, I want to try somebody else. I want to see right. who else is doing good work. You know, I can say it all day, but it's something about going to somebody else's platform and, and feeling like, damn, they, they did they did they do diligence. You know, yeah. they, 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 they did a good job. Um, I normally don't do two podcasts at a time, so I know you came <laughs> second and I knock one out. Normally I do one and that's it. Yeah. And I, you know, I stop, but I wanted to, I got the itch. I wanted to do, I want, I, I want another one right now. If I could, I, I'll do them all day. I love doing <laughs> this. Um, but I do want to ask some more questions just about the commissioner's standpoint. Um, from a commissioner's standpoint, when you, when you was in office, what, like, if you had to tell me your toughest situation or something you just wished you could get back of regret, not a regret, but something that made me slip through, something that you just felt like I kind of could have did this instead of doing that. What's something that uh, you feel like you wish you could kind of get that one back? Well, I, I had one like that for almost seven years. Mm. Seven years, by the grace of God, I got an opportunity to get another bite of the apple. And what happened, and I can't call the names. Gotcha. Um, it was a young lady. She was dismissed from the government. Now, I voted also to 
the Terminator. Uh, and I did that because I had some engagements with her professionally then, I don't, you know, um, and talking to her prior to that. And I knew in her spirit, it was going to be very difficult to do her job. And she was in a very crucial position. And they let her go. But when, they let, when we let her go, it would just got so ugly. It got, I mean, it got really ugly. And, and I just, it just never sat well with me after that because that was not the intent. Mm-hmm. She ended up suing us. She went to federal court and she lost. Then she appealed it. And by that time, rules and regulations around her termination had changed. And I said, thank God. So when it came back, we had to settle with her. Mm. That haunted me for seven years. You were sad that she didn't get this, that she didn't win the first time? Uh, well, if, if she'd won for, if she'd won the first time, it'd have been good. But but you would think that she would have stopped when she lost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But by the time she appealed it, some federal regulations had changed. And at this time, we was forced to negotiate a settlement with her. Mm. And so I was just excited about that to get an opportunity. Because I was asking, I said, well, that's all? <laughs> <laughs> uh, because I didn't want to hurt her because I knew the workplace had put such a burden on her. Yeah. And, um, and my intent was not to hurt her, but she was, in my mind, she was humiliated. And, uh, and, I, and I labored with that for quite some time. And so I thank God uh, that we got an opportunity. And you can never, that's a personal decision, mm-hmm. whether you can make a person whole or not when they've been violated. That's a personal decision. But knowing that if they agreed to what the settlement and their attorney brought an offer to you and they took it, that's what more can you do about that? Right. That's it. But so I thank I thank God for that. That was the most trying thing for me. And I and every now and then I used to talk about it because I just it was just so unfair the way uh where that went down. What about um one of your best best memories? Hypox yeah. the Hypox families. You may not be familiar with that, but that's right off Gordon Highway. Uh you, if you know where the south side, if you take away thermoceramic hills, if you compare thermoceramic, you would go to the right and you go down in there. And that neighborhood has been deemed polluted and contaminated for the last 50 years. Mm. And, um, and we were able to get, when I got there, the grace of God, I, I watched mm. the whole thing unfold. In 2009, I, w- I witnessed, because I've how long I've been going down there, I witnessed <laughs> the commission took and lowered their taxes because the people was coming mm. out and they're complaining. You know, we, you know, they lowered their tax value. Then they come back at another time around 11, 12, somewhere down that time with Commissioner uh, Corey Johnson leading the charge at that particular time here when they took and um, uh, said they're going to put a retention pond over there. You know what I'm saying? So now you got some movement. Now it takes the money to begin to start all that process. And so when I got there with those six votes, less than 60 days, we started that process. And a little about a year and a half, two years, we had every family out of there. Mm. An area that had been deemed contaminated for almost fifty years, man, and so that's the, that's the highlight uh, for me that those families had to suffer like that for all those years, and to get them out of there. And I've had plenty of those families um, to, you know, at that particular time, to call and thank us and thank us for for doing that, and and saw the way they were living now and stuff like that. They because they didn't believe it because there had been so many promises over those years. And to get out there, when the time came, they couldn't believe it. 
because they also, what the commission had done, the commission had voted, they're going to use a federal program to relocate them. Mm. And that really put them in the Catbury seat because I had some experience with that federal program. And so I knew it was the best thing that could happen for them. So there were federal regulations in place to, to relocate them. And as a result of that, um, you, you know, you, you thank God for it, man. You thank God. Oh, that's definitely a great story. I like that. And I did hear about how part, but not knowing the specifics, yeah. not hearing it makes it right yeah. there. I mean, make, the thing in the data paper at that time, you know, could say, well, you know, they was always pushing back that it was not contaminated. A child can get in a ditch and eat a spoon of dirt for the rest of their life and it won't hurt them. What does that have to say about the people? Yeah, that's kind of crazy to even write. You know, that's kind of crazy to even publish. Yeah, yeah, but that's what, that's what you were going through with that kind of stuff. And so, for God to bless us that opportunity to do that, man, uh, um, it, it was a really, really joyful occasion. And I think the whole, all of us city of Augusta should be, should be proud about that because if you live here for the last 25, 30, you heard about it. Yeah. And if you just happen to just say, well, one day, you know, sometimes you take the notice and say, man, I'm a, let me ride down and see what they're talking about. And if you wrote there, you would say, oh, my God. This is, you know, I had no idea because you could hear it. You know, anytime, people can tell you all the time about something. But when you see it, you see it's either different. better you know, much better said, man, you, man, that's a pretty girl, man. She's pretty. When you see her, you say, oh, my God. And, <laughs> and, and at the same time, you know, when you something tell you something is bad, and then you go through and you look at it, you say, oh, my God, man, I thought it was bad. I had no idea it was this bad. And that's what it was. But I can tell you those families were very satisfied. You said something I, want, I, I wanted to uh, kind of end with this, too, is like, how, for what you did when this, in politics, just being a commissioner, how important or unimportant is it uh, when media starts to get involved with things you're trying, you, you might be trying to fix or you may be handling. You just mentioned them saying something about you eat uh, some dirt with a spoon for, how does that hurt or help like me, these media uh, publications or things that said in the media or media, me like podcasts or the Austin Rose, the, the, all that. How do, how do, how does the way we uh, give out the news affect y'all, you guys' job? I was, I was, I'm not saying, I'm going to speak about me. Let's just say it's a controversial issue. And sometimes your conversation don't go on for one week, they go for weeks at a time. And if I'm deliberating, and we're deliberating as commissioners, there'll be other commissioners that may give their take on it to the media. I wouldn't speak to the media about it. Because... I can put out there and tell you, well, you know, well, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. I mean, my, my goal is that I don't plan to support it. And that could be from the commission. That could be from a committee meeting one Tuesday, and the following Tuesday is at the commission meeting, right? Mm -hmm. I've told you, going into the committee meeting, or after the committee meeting when I do an interview, I've said to the public, I don't plan to support that. I mean, and here's why I don't plan to support it. But guess what? Now, Tuesday, I vote for it. Here's what I have not left myself to do. What if I get more information I didn't have when I talked over here? That information can change the whole game. Right. And so now I had to say, well, you know, here's what I found out. Most times, the citizen ain't going to give you no reprieve on that. Mm. All they heard is your position when you say I wasn't going to support it. But then you voted for it. But once I got better information, because that's what should be driving the whole, whole conversation, information. See, for me, I've been trained to understand that is a battle of ideals. And so the best ideals should win. And so when I'm doing it, I, I try to keep my opinions to myself. This is among my colleagues, they know. 
but I'm not. Now, every now and then, if you see me talking to the media about this issue, it's strategic. I got to do it. I got to take control of it. But uh, most of the time, I'm operating in the field trying to keep, you know, trying to keep my to self. So I'm trying to herd cats or trying to be one of the cats that be heard. <laughs> and so I'm not going to get, I'm not going to, and then many times I'm not going to deal with the media because I see how they're handling it. And what I'm saying is not going to be said anyway. They're going to talk to me for two minutes and give me a five-second sound bite. They're going to do me a disservice. So why waste my time? It makes sense. Why makes waste sense. my time? And so I, I will reserve that and push my colleagues or let my colleagues push me to where we're going. And that's what you do. So you can't let the media get inside your head because the media has an agenda. See, one thing I say to people, and I don't have a monopoly on this, and that is when you ask me, say, well, Ben, what's your agenda? And I say, I don't have an agenda. You should be concerned about that. Because everybody should have an agenda. What you, what you want to know is my agenda, what I say it is. Mm. Is it true to what you're doing? Is it true to what I'm doing? Matching your actions. That's right. But first, you have an agenda. You have to kind of you do them a favor. You do them a solid, as they say. Hey, now you got to have an agenda because what are you trying to do? I'm trying to. Well, that's your agenda then. Because if you don't have an agenda, so you're telling me you're just doing something. You should have an agenda, and I think people, I do have it. But the language has put people on the defense when you shouldn't be on the defense. About it, just say what it is. And and far as far as the the, the just being in, involved with the uh, commission and in, in politics, uh, is it is it tough like seeing media like because you know people say a lot of hurtful things, a lot of things they probably shouldn't say, probably try to tear character down and stuff like that. Is it tough like seeing them in places or like maybe a couple months ago they said they published some things, said some things you didn't like, but now here it is three, four months later down the line, and it's a whole different topic we're talking about, but maybe they are singing the same tune as you now. Mm -hmm. So how do you, like, uh, orchestrate how you feel about them then when y'all on this, now y'all on the same side, but maybe last uh, situation y'all wasn't? Too. Well, it, like I say, I think when you, when you do it, you have to realize the media is the animal that it is, and that's where you have to decide whether you want to get involved with it, whether you want to give them comments prematurely. I have no problem after it's all said and done because also you have to realize you can have six votes today or seven votes. But listen, nothing is solid to those votes are cast because mm -hmm. people move. Always people are always reaching out to them. So you can go in today and say, man, okay, we got six votes. Because the person or the persons who've been called and talked to, they don't have the courage to realize, tell you they done changed their mind. Right. And so when the vote come mm -hmm. down, you look down and say, man, and then you said, I thought he said she was with us or he was with us. What happened? <laughs> and now they, they look in this way. <laughs> say, we look at you. You know. But, but, but in part, we all make, there is no perfect person. So me saying these things, it don't mean I ain't made some mistake. Mm -hmm. You know, like you asked me earlier about some thing that I would get back. That's the most, one with, that's the one that's the most egregious. And by the grace of God, we got an opportunity to correct that. The benefit of that. But in between, you're going to do some things that's going to happen. But you have to have to defend it. Right. Did you, did, is this what you mean, meant to do? This is why. Yes, I, I have no problem with this. Did I want to do it? No, but here's what the facts were. It is a battle of ideas. It's not about personalities. And that's, those are the things for us that we got to, we got to you know, when you say it ain't, it's, it's not personal, it's business, we make everything personal. We got to take the personalities out of it. 
is whether I like the person or not. Oh, I like him. Everywhere you go, you see, I mean, they're all, they're good people. <laughs> but politically, they may be a liability to the community. Right. And you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about because they're everywhere. You're thinking about because they got a knife. You know, so, so the big, but you have to, so until we get people who are involved in the process, I have some semblance of what to expect, you're going to always put us at a disadvantage. Yeah. But, I, but like I said, a lot of things, are, you know, I, I, I tried to prepare myself. It don't mean I always made the best decisions. It don't mean I've lived the best life. And trust, I'm here to tell you that has not happened. That's why I said it early on and said it several times, I thank God that I'm alive, you know, you know. Um, so it's a hit and miss. Yeah. And you just hope and praise your, your heart is in the right place and you're a believer in yourself and believing in your, in your, in your family, believe in your community, believe in this country. And, uh, and I think for the conversation that we're having today, there's not many places in the world that we can have this conversation. You know, good, bad, and different, how people feel about it. And so we have to take advantage of it. No matter what they say about us, we have an opportunity to pull ourselves up because they're not going to just automatically stop demonizing us in those ways because their whole psycho psychological existence is tied to that superiority. The training has worked well on both parties. The training has worked well on them to say that they are superior and it's worked well to say that we're inferior. How do we have a breakthrough? I'm glad you put that the way you put it. I was going to ask that question too. Like when you worked with your colleagues, I'm just calling colleagues at the time, because I can tell your stance on how you talk and the verbiage you're using and telling me your stance you know, without saying a color or nothing like yeah. that. Did you ever feel like they felt like you was hard to work with? Only because they're not used to pushback from us. <laughs> okay, because I'm listening to talk about it. And then being informed. Got you. So you're not emotionally tied to it. Yeah. Because sometimes I've had them talk. call me and ask me, what do I think about this? Because they knew I'd done my due diligence. So no, we ain't going to do that. You know, like it's kind of like a brother, my wife and I were listening before I came in the day. And then what we, he was talking about the word, what we ain't going to do. He said, we had a, that's one word. <laughs> what, you ain't, what you ain't going to do now. <laughs> and that's the way I used to be. But I would be adamant about those things that, you know, that, that we, we ain't finna do that. <laughs> <laughs> you need a shirt to say that. We ain't finna do that. <laughs> that's, that's his favorite. But, but I had respect for him, you know, and I understood it. And they would tell me the certain things. You know, I've heard, I've had a couple of them say to me several times, and I've shared with them as well. I have to live in my community. I, I ain't gonna do that one. And they've shared with me in being in the grocery store. Their constituent asked them, why are you involved with your people? Why are you involved with your people? Don't care what it is. Don't care what it is. Why are you not voting with your people? You know, so they get the, they have the, they have the, I don't call it the luxury, they get the penalty of probably being uninvited to all their social events and all the other things that goes, all the kind of perks. And, and what happens to me and you, they just drag us like we, like, like they, they lynch us in the public square. <laughs> yeah. Who wants that? Nobody. Now, I'm not going to run from it is the right thing to do. You know, but, uh, but, but that's what you're up against. So, it's, so, so it, it, is a, it is a balance, and that's why it is important that you be, you make informed decisions. Mm -hmm. And you make, you make decisions about the ideal. Because that's what you're fighting against. It should be about a battle of ideas, what is base, and not black and white. And believe it or not, it's not, that's not always the case. It's because the, because the taxpayers want it. And when they're talking about the taxpayers, when they use that word, they ain't talking about me and you. Wait. I, I pay you. my taxes. They pay I their taxes. You. 
and I can't argue about what West Augusta pay. They, they, they do pay more taxes than we pay from Atlanta. But my taxes, I've, I don't remember being late on my taxes. I've been there since 86. Mm. I pay my taxes. So I pay 100% of my tax. He paid 100%. He may, may pay more. But that's by the law. They got nothing to do with me. So I'm a taxpayer too. But when those terms are used, they're not talking about it. Yeah. That sounds good. Hey, man. You got a point there. <laughs> Definitely got a point. Speaking of taxes and money, I just want to ask one thing because I've been talking to people about it. So is it, is it true that being a commission, is, it's, not, it's no money in that? No. So how y'all live? Huh? How do y'all live? Well, well most times, you know, you, you live from, from, from money you already have. If you, some, people, some of them are still gainfully employed. Some still running their business. So in those kind of things, you still can do that. So it's, it's not in the money in it. Most, you don't get you, any bonuses, you got, no paycheck, nothing? No you, get, no, you get a paycheck, but you're talking about right now, it may be about, about $20,000, $22,000 a year for that body of work. It's a lot, it's a lot of hard work. That um, and wild. then if it's you're like a male pro team, you may McDonald's. get $10,000 more. Huh? It's like a part-time job McDonald's. Like a part-time job. And it's supposed to be a part-time position, but it's hard to do it part-time the way the commissioners do it. Now, can it become a part-time position? If commissioners done, if and that's include myself, we didn't do it. If we was just policymakers and turn it over, it could be a part time job. Mm. But commissioners always stir in the pot, and so that makes you go beyond what you need to do. And I will tell you once again, a managerial style of government and a, an administrative mm. style of government, they, it's not going to change. Matter of fact, I think it's almost a detriment to the black community to have a a, 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 a managerial style of government because of the influences who will be able to get this person where now for you is hands off. I think it's a setup. Well, you mentioned stirring a pot, and I'm going to play my little snippet because uh, a lot of our audience say that I stirred a pot. So from you watching some of the episodes, what do you think? You think I could be a commissioner one day or something? I, I'm sure you can. I, I think you, you have a very curious mind. I think you, 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 you have an appetite to want to see things get done. I think when you do what you're doing, that means that you're putting yourself on the front line to talk to everybody. Um, I saw you interviewing uh, Tyrus. Yeah. Um, I saw you interviewing uh, Earl Gray. Yeah, uh, I saw you uh, interviewing some other people and stuff like that. So I think you have that appetite. You want to know. And, uh, and when you're asking things, you're asking, you're trying to discern what makes everybody tick. Yeah. And how do you fit into these things? I think you have the personality and the appetite for it. Because it's not just... And appetite, and also the personality, and also the persona, and also you got to have the courage. You know, Maya Angelou said that of all the virtues, courage is number one. Because without courage, you would not be able to be persistent about what is right and what is wrong. Mm. Right and wrong here in this instance in the political arena does not mean that you're going to always do uh, right by that, but you're going to do right by this situation. You're going to do the best that you can in this situation. You're going to work with what you got. You're going to do the less harm as you possibly can. And you're not going to make anything personal in that regard. Do, so the question becomes, do you have it? I think you'd be a great uh, politician. I just got to keep my day job. <laughs> well, 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 trust me, I would encourage you to keep your day job. I would encourage you to keep your day job. Um, but that's, you know, all I got for, for today. I, I think this was a good conversation. I, I enjoyed uh, you coming in and, and giving me your story. and. And give your time um, for for one, but uh, I definitely want to have more conversations if possible. I want to link up and do some uh, episodes or just some content with you and when, what you got going on with you know Speak Augusta. I'm I'm a behind it 100. So if you got any merch, shirts, hats, or something like that, 
I'll buy it. I want. I like to wear it on camera. Like I, I only wear Augusta stuff on camera. I saw. I've seen that as well. So and I, I wear it around. I work um, at a company. I work at. You know, a lot of eyes is there. So um, things get seen and they ask about it. So I, I don't mind doing that. Uh, tell the people where they can find you at. Where they can find the the, the online paper. Uh, Speak Augusta and which I got. The, which I got coming out. Oh, it's speak, uh, speakaugusta.com uh, right now uh, is a weekly. We may be going bi-weekly because we're getting ready to do a podcast. Uh, we're still working on the dynamics of that. We got a podcast. We got the studio set up. Uh, we're trying to, you know, get some angle on that, uh, on, on that roadcaster gotcha. there. Uh, and so you'll be able to see we, we have a Facebook page up and running in about another week as well. If, if not, we don't do something this Thursday. I'm not sure when this is going to run. But I want to say to you, uh, we appreciate this very much. Uh, we've enjoyed it. Uh, we look forward to interviewing you. Oh, I mean, I'm it's, ready. it's important that you, you tell your story. I mean, because all of us have a story. And I think it adds value to our community. Our community needs to say it's okay to come out of the shadows, regardless of what, whether you're liberal, mm-hmm. moderate, or conservative. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to voice your opinion. And we have to find a way that is not, we're not attacking one another. We just have a difference of opinion. Right. That's okay. And I think what you're doing, I think your, your approach to it adds value to all of that. And, like, and that's why I looked at so many episodes of, you know, glanced at so many episodes of what you had there because I like your delivery, I like your mannerism, and I like your ability to allow people to tell their story and not try to cut them off at every sentence. Oh, now what you said in that? That ain't what you said earlier. And that may be the case. But you can come back to that. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I say it like this, man. <laughs> uh, podcast and interview, to me, I, I, I'm an artist. I'm painting a picture, so... If I don't let you say what you say, then I can't talk about it later on. So right. I might bring it up at minute fifty. You might have said that minute five. I'm gonna let you rock yeah. out. Minute right. fifty, I bring it back up. Yeah. If I if I remember, yeah. you know. Yeah. But the conversation has to be the conversation. It can't be me cutting you up every five minutes because then now you ain't gonna want to talk. And another thing too, I would like to say this to you as well. Um, you are truly a believer in Augusta. Oh, I love it. You know, and, and I mean, but you're not just saying it because with your podcast, more than the masters. Yep. That signifies that. You are a believer that we have more to offer here. And that's what tournament. I used to say. I used to say on my, in 2006 when I had Can We Talk, uh, I talked about the Masters to show you that the ability of it, the Masters. Having the Masters tournament here is like having um, every year Olympics. Yeah. And Olympics every year where Olympics is every four years. They're going around the world. But like having an Olympic event here every year. Also, I go to point to the fact of James Brown, world-renowned, known around the world, city of Augusta, Augusta Beach Island. And then I say, you, you bring something to the table. You have value. You're from here. You're from New York originally, but you're here now. Yeah. Augusta has a way of getting this spirit in the mix of that. And so you're here too. So you're saying we have enough ingredients here to do what needs to be done. Definitely. So in just naming it more than the masters says volume about what your commitments are to the city. Definitely. And I, I definitely committed. I'm 100% committed to the city. I love it. So, Thank you. I thank you for the time. No, nah, thank you, man. Uh, thank you for coming on. You know what I'm saying? You're always invited. And uh, I wish you nothing but the best and success with Speak Augusta. And I will help you with any, any way you need. Uh, without further ado, Water Masters Podcast, we out. Thank you, sir. Thank you, man. Enjoy that. Yeah, that was-